0: Tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County, slatterysgarage.ie.
1: Good morning and welcome to Tip Today. Alison here with you this Thursday morning. Coming up on this morning's show, Cara Darmody updates us on her latest campaign in Leinster House. Was Pascal Dunahue's explanation in the doll enough? We'll be hearing from some listeners today who say no, it's not. More on the alcohol ban being called for in a Tipperary park. How our health service compares to the NHS. Are enough high-vis vests being worn by people on the roads? The saga, the ongoing saga of Kilmacoda and Len, will there be a replay? Farming news with journal editor Katrina Morrissey A Muriel Cuddy, CEO of Marita 8020, will be talking to us this morning about what makes us beautiful. The phone lines are open. Emma is standing by to take your calls on 1800 938 007. Or you can text or WhatsApp 083 311 331 and we'd be delighted to hear from you this morning. Now, as you may have heard last week, 12-year-old Ard and girl Cara Darmody is spending one day a week at Leinster House. This is a continuation of her ongoing campaign to secure better services for families dealing with autism. She got on great last week. We were delighted to talk to her after her first week down. She was in with Fran last Thursday. She ventured up there again yesterday and she joins me now to share her update. Hi, Cara. Good morning. Hi Alison, hello, how are you doing? Good to talk to you this morning. Tell us, how did you get on this week?
2: Oh my, it's great to be back here today with the no spin news from Leinster House, live on Ireland's gracious radio station, Tip FM. (laughs) And great
1: to talk to you. Tell us, what did you observe this week? So, I have some
2: great stories, hard facts, and loads of gossip. I have three things to cover this week. So, number one from Leinster House, the Pasco Donoghue story dominated the headlines all week, mm-hmm. and there was no other story in town. To remind everyone, it's all about this donation he got from a businessman, and he also got help putting up his election posters. It led to a massive row last week in the Dáil. Everyone was waiting to see what he would say to the doll on Tuesday. So he came out fighting. He was like a gun singer from the old Wild West. But he has no guns. No, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> the opposition tried to nail him with some really hard questions. Alison, he was under some pressure, but they couldn't land a knockout blow. So here's a quick poem about what happened. Pasco came out smoking and Mary Lou wasn't joking. She was pecking and poking Pouring water on a smoky. I couldn't believe what I saw, but I think it all ended in a draw. A draw? Very good. <laughs> and what else did you observe this week, Ara? <laughs> So, Alison, I was talking to one of my confidential sources when I left the house, and this is the word on the street. If nothing else comes out, Pascal will be okay. But if something else turns up, he'll be cooked for Fina Gael's breakfast.
1: Oh, wow, you heard it here first. So what else are your sources telling you? Um,
2: uh, Well, we're going to be going on to story number two now. So, I got to meet the chairperson of the autism committee again, Micheal Carraghe, France. He gave us some shocking information. This is real breaking news. So, they had a financial expert called Dr. Anya Ruddy from Psycho University giving evidence to the committee yesterday. A detailed study on the cause of autism was done. And she told the committee about her findings. Here comes the shock. Okay. She told them that the cost per child for families with autistic children came to over 28,000 euros as a result of paying for private autism services, lost income and informal care. 28,000 euros per autistic child. 28,000 euros. And she said that severely autistic children, like my two brothers, would cost even more. Wow, Alison, I got so mad when I heard this. The dog on the street knows that every single family who has a disability in their home is paying an absolute fortune for that. And it is so wrong. Family care in Ireland, and as I am, are loudly saying that the government must stop assessing the means of a family, but to assess the needs of a family instead. Families are going into poverty because of a disability in the home. It is so wrong, and I'm so mad about this.
1: Oh my goodness. That, did that figure come as a shock to you, Cara, that it was that much, or, or do you think it's it's probably more?
2: I think it's just shocking because like 28,000 euros for every child, but then when you've brothers like mine, then it's going to cost even more than that, which yeah. is just shocking because you should not be paying that much money. Absolutely.
1: And what kind of reaction do you get then from the, the Autism Committee and, and from those that you're meeting? What kind of reaction are you getting?
2: I suppose I've been. It's just so much money, to be honest. Like yeah. twenty eight thousand euros is so much. Like that, like, no one should be paying that much. Twenty eight thousand euros for one child. And tell us, what
1: else did you come across in the doll this week, Ara? So
2: that brings me to story number three. Then I submitted a public petition to the doll two weeks ago for three things. Number one, immediate financial relief for families paying privately for assessments and services. Number two. HRC accountability, which is definitely non-existent. And number three, carers' allowance to be completely reviewed. Yesterday, I had a big meeting with the chairperson of the Oireachtas Committee on public petitions. Alison, you'll never get who it is. It's our great temporary TD, Martin Brown. We uh, we had a fantastic meeting with him. I was amazed with his knowledge about all the disability and carers' issues that we have right now. We have a lot of work to do to make progress on that petition. But as Jack Charlton once said, I'm going to give it a lash. and never,
1: never, never say no. Absolutely. And no better woman. And Cara, tell us, any any more gossip? Are you going to grade them for us now this week?
2: So, very quickly to the grading. Madison. all I'm asking of politicians is to do their best for those who need help. With the work that he is doing on disability disability issues, especially this week, Martin Brown gets the second highest mark, the grade B. Well done, work Martin. Well Great results. Keep up the good work and keep doing what you're doing because you're doing the right thing and we're heading in the right road. <laughs> and who else gets a grade then this week, Ara? We're not going to be doing any other grading, but so I'm going to be back next week. But but I think Jackie Cahill has a big meeting lined up for me with Minister for Education, Norma Foley. Oh, wow. We are here all of the big gossip first right here on Ireland's number one radio station, Tip FM.
1: Great, Cara. Thanks for talking to us this morning, and we'll look forward to checking in with you again next week. All the best for the week. Thank you very much. Thanks, Have Cara. Have a great day. Bye. You too. That's Cara Darmody there. And uh, we'll check in with her again next week uh, as part of her ongoing campaign to improve services for families who are dealing with disability and with autism in particular. Now, Cara spoke about it there and the Minister for Public Expenditure, Pascal Donoghue, he has confirmed in the Dáil that there was a breach of election rules after Fine Gael in Dublin Central unknowingly they say, received a corporate donation above the legal limit in 2020. Now, it, it's a saga that just keeps running. Um, and opinion remains, I think, very much divided on this. Sinn Féin are also under the spotlight this morning. The Irish Times on their front page this morning saying that they failed to disclose expenses in 2016. One of our listeners, Peter, joins me on the line now. Peter, good morning to you.
3: Morning, Alison. How are you today?
1: I'm great, Peter. Good, Good. to talk to you today. Can yeah. I ask, where do you stand on this Pascal Donahue thing? Do you think it'll be a sword that he falls on, or do you think he'll survive it?
4: I thought two
3: weeks ago, um, before he ever said that, when this broke, that was something he'd probably fall on, because there were ministers falling at a, a big rate. But I think now he won't, for the simple reason. Every one of them, I'd say, if you um, delved into their... Um, their finances. Every one of them have something, and that's where the problem is. So, there's really nobody going to stand up, really, and uh, make him pay for his loss of memory and that. So, I'd say that's where it will go.
1: Yeah, I'd say it's very hard to find anyone in the doll with with clean hands, because you you know you do have to have a little bit of. Oh, and I don't want to. to uh, yeah, we're, talk yeah, badly like, about any politician, because no. they do great work, but in order to get to where they are, there has to be maybe a little bit of dirty work involved
3: sometimes. Yeah, and, and money passes hands, yeah. like everything. Of course it does, and so we're, we're around long enough now, Alison, to know that and to see that. And like, many of them that are claiming to be um, cleaner than clean, like, we know that's not the case. Like, you can't run these campaigns on what the salary that the elders are getting, but... Um, like, it's just absolutely massive. But it's something that's that's kind of crazy for our country that I don't see anybody else.
5: Mm-hmm. When I
3: put in for a job, nobody gives me a few pounds to help me get it right, you know. Yeah. So uh, the to whole thing is, is, yeah, you know, it's a bit crazy. But no, I'd say Pascal will be fine. We're sick of listening to you at this stage. There are way, way more important issues out there, you know.
1: And I know the argument has been made in <clears throat> favour of Pascal that, <clears throat> you know, he's, he's a very astute, very intelligent, very capable politician and has huge respect European uh, from the European Parliament as well in his role there. So is this enough
3: to well, say goodbye to what
1: is a good politician? Yeah,
3: he might be all those things, but his memory is shocking. <laughs> like or it's conveniently sh- shocking. <laughs> well, I don't know. He claims he's, he's, it's shocking, like you know, because like he got a great chance to clean all this up at the very start. Yeah. And he forgot there was an election in between. Mm-hmm. And the same person had done exactly the same thing. But like, it's it's definitely damaged him,
1: mm-hmm. though, I think. He's probably not the squeaky clean politician we maybe thought he was.
3: Oh, it has damaged and his party big time. Yeah. Because uh, every time I seem to be talking to you, that's one of the topics because there or another one of them after uh, forgetting or giving false information or. You know, there's something but I think it's it's actually very damaging. But like I say, in the meantime, and like that young lady you done before there before I came on, I had that to follow. But like there were no mention of our forestry, our land yeah. being sold off in the doll, or at least I didn't hear mention it. Like, this is what we should be talking about, uh, our government should be talking about. They're selling off thousands and thousands of, of our land, like back to the English to a vulture fund. Like, this is crazy stuff, like. And they're all talking about the 1,011 euro or something that one politician got, and we know that's not the figure, but that's the figure that's been thrown out, I like.
1: Yeah, and I know, and I'd have to put the Sinn Féin story in there as well. I know it's on the front of the Irish Times that they didn't declare expenses of €2,000. And in the grand scheme of things, whether it's 1500 from Pascal or whatever it is, and 2000 from Sinn Féin, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a lot of money, and there's a lot more important things happening.
3: Yeah, totally. And like I said at the very start, every one of them have a question to answer if you dug into their mm. financial setup, like So, like, it's it's the only thing they seem to be able to um, have a go at one another because they don't seem, and even don't seem to have policies up yeah. there. Like, I think Michael Fitzmaurice was the only man that I have heard mention uh, about uh, our, our culture, our state, our state um, company, selling off our country to England. Like we fought this country for years and years to get our land and hold it. Now we'll sell it back to them.
1: Why like, do you think that is Peter, that this has really it, gone under it, the radar, that people uh, don't I, seem to care?
3: It's, first of all, um, the reason the land has been sold is to, it's a 50-year plan. In 2050, we have to have start emissions at some crazy place or whatever. And uh, Ireland and farmers and people in Ireland work the land too hard, so they're not going to put forestry into it. Yeah. They have reclaimed it. So, if they can sell all this land off to an English company, they will come and plant it, and that's going to help our, um, the old, all this um, stuff that's going on about the ozone and all of that. So, we have been cues here. Instead of doing the hard work ourselves, we're we'll selling it off to England and leaving them plant our land here.
1: What really upsets me, Peter, is I can never understand why forestry in this country is treated as a commodity and as a business and as an item to export. Why can't we develop forestry in this area for recreation, for leisure and for tourism, which is a lot more sustainable?
3: Yes, Alison, forestry was set up originally in this country to help small farmers, Mm. that they had a bit of work to do. Uh, for seven, eight hours a day, and then they could go home, have the thousand and all that meat before they go to work. The same. And it would and be a way of home.
1: using land that isn't great for grazing.
3: Exactly, yeah. and and, and uh, they were able to get some marginal land into into forestry, and it created jobs, and it, and it created um, it, 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 the, the marginal land had had a use, and this is where forestry started from. But I. have 15 to 16 years in forestry. I know the kind of carry-up on that has went on there. And creature the craziness. Like, we can't get um, get um, a permit to cut timber yeah. that we got paid to plant by government money 20, 30 years ago. They can't cause it now, and we have to import timber. Like... The whole thing, the, the lady that's the chief executive at the moment, she got an award, I think it was from Europe there two or three days ago, for uh, being an entrepreneur, being whatever she was, the best um, chief executive in the country or something. Mm. And what did she do? Just sold her land and that's how she got it. No wonder Europe was so mad about her like, you know. Yeah. And
1: Peter, what was your role when you worked in the forestry for
3: six years? I, I, I um, drove a um, timber harvester and a timber forwarder. Uh, when when timber machines came into this country first, back in the 1980, um, there was two of us. Um, a friend of mine from and Mick Fenton, was the first man ever to drive one of these um, timber uh, forwarders, and I was the second. And we were sent off to the a, a, uh, the. B, centre in in, in uh, Wales to train to drive these machines and we were sent all over the country here then to um, take out timber which we used to have some the, the minister used to come out to do it and um, see what was going on
6: mm.
3: all the timber we'd have a lovely straight line of timber there'd be 20 pieces in every pile, they'd be so far away from one another, there'd be plenty of space between the trees for you to pick this up And this was all filmed and shown to the minister and the lovely, lovely setup we had here. And the minute then he was gone out the gap, we were sent in across the mountains, hanging up the trees to try to save ourselves from. Do you know, we've never changed in this country. We never showed the minister the exact conditions that we were expecting these machines to work in. How rough our forestry was compared to um, Sweden, you know. And in Sweden at the time, the people we bought the machines from, uh, they said they were over and they said the worst land they would consider putting their ma- those machines into was the very best here. Really? Yes, that's a fact. And they could not understand how, you know, how our, our land was, our trees were so rough. See, they weren't pruned, they weren't looked after yeah. coming through the years. And um, we had really horrendous conditions to try to make these machines work. Now it's, it's, it's a different now because uh, the machines are built stronger and they're built more for our, our timber in this country, you know. And there are more people, more companies um, building those machines. So it's, um, it's, it's a bit better now. But Quilchel still has a serious problem.
1: Peter, could you mm-hmm. explain to me when um, when Quilter come into the forest and they cut down large swathes mm-hmm. of, of areas of trees, yeah. why do they leave it in such an awful condition? What, like you, you'd you only have the bare trees, what it, whatever's um, um skimmed off those trunks, mm-hmm. we'll say, is left on the ground. The ground is all torn up. There's no attempt ever made to kind of tidy up at all afterwards, and you've had a whole
3: environment just it, destroyed. It, it's a horrendous site.
7: Awesome.
3: And when you plant uh, Sitka spruce, is what's mostly yeah. planted in this country, and now we're supposed Sitka spruce, uh, there's very little latch or hardwoods planted. So when you plant uh, uh, Sitka spruce and that, that just absolutely ruins ground.
8: Right. You cannot
3: bring that ground back. If you decided to take every root, every um, root out of that ground, drain it, it would still not grow grass for you. It really? is poisoned. It is destroyed. No, I know. Was, I
1: know the reasoning behind the sickest Bruce, because it's less susceptible to disease. It also grows straight, so it's easier to cut. But is that another example of how our laziness is killing us in the long run?
3: Yeah, we we are not. Uh, we have a couple of nice forests down around Dromana, um, down in um, Inishdeeg, and in in Wicklow or up, up, up in, in parts of Wicklow. We have some nice forests but very few. Mm. And what's promoted now is this quick-grown uh, spruce tree, yeah. which really is not as good as what they're saying. You look at that timber, put it into your roof, it'll only last quarter of the time of proper timber, that that's, that's season that's dried out properly and that's grown over a longer number of years, you know.
9: Wow.
1: Oh, I wasn't yeah, aware tis, of that.
3: Yeah, tis, but like it's, it, it's promoted as... Um, oh, this, this timber is just brilliant, like it's it's this, that, and the other thing, and it's growing quickly so we can have it for construction and that. But that's actually not the case. Most of the timber that comes out of Ireland here, um, the job you have in straightening roofs after putting it up to pull it back into some bit of shape, right. it's, 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 uh, it's not good. It's not, we, we, we are not anyway as close to thinking we good in this country with our timber production as you'd be led to believe, you know.
1: Yeah, I remember hearing a figure a few years ago that there were more trucks with timber leaving this country than with cattle.
3: Yeah, that uh, that uh, that doesn't surprise me at all. And I'd say the same amount are probably coming back with proper timber here for yeah. us, like, right, you know. So that's that would be how that would work. But the problem, like I was going to say to you there earlier, if you look through the countryside in the dark of the evening, all you see is timber machines harvesters and forwarders yeah walking nobody seems to be able to make a living on a timber machine in 10 hours wow. or nine hours and that never changed because back in my time uh when we got more drivers trained up and all the rest of it, they they, they kind of promoted that uh, we do two two shifts two 12-hour shifts like you know and that you'd walk straight through the 24 hours which was any 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 industry that can't make a living in nine, ten hours, there's something needs to be looked at like, you know.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Peter, we'll have to leave it there, but great to talk to you this morning. Thanks no bother, Alison.
3: Take care. Thank All you.
1: the best. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Peter. Would love to get your views on it. And you know, it's something very close to my heart because there's a, a part of the woods that I would regularly walk in and it was always my favourite. I just adored it. And I came on it a couple of weeks ago. It had all been cut down and destroyed, and it broke my heart. And I haven't been back there since because I was so upset over it. And it's horrible to see. And why can't we um, develop forestry in this country for recreation and for leisure and for tourism? Because that's where the future is, and, and not destroying it. Let me know what you think. Oh eight three three double one double three double one
0: eighteen hundred nine three eight double zero seven.
10: Tip today. With Fran Curry,
0: With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today. To bring you some texts
1: we're getting this morning, Patrick says Pascal O'Donoghue should resign. There have been too many scandals attached to this government. All the while, families and children suffer in this state. It's shocking the state of our healthcare. It's in a devastating state of disrepair, and it's time to wake up. Another listener says it's all tit for tat with government ministers. It's very annoying. Anything anytime anything going on in government, other parties seem to think their way out of it is to dig dirt on Sinn Fein. Another listener says Pascal Donoghue is in control of a ministry in our government. What mistake another TD who is not in a position of power has made should be of no interest to any of us citizens at this point in time. Later on, when this problem has been sorted, is time enough to be going down this road? Another listener says in relation to the selling of land uh, to English companies, he says, sell your land back to the English landlords again. That man is totally right. That's in relation to Peter. Another listener says, um, in relation to election expenses, Louise O'Reilly of Sinn Féin was on primetime on Tuesday night having a kitten up Pascal Donahue not knowing about the posters being erected. Her words, not good enough. He didn't know what the, where the buck stops with him. She said he should know all of this. Then yesterday it showed Sinn Féin wasn't aware their house was not in order. My God, they're all clueless. They just keep throwing stones from inside glass houses. That's from Mick. And another listener says it's not about the amount of money, it's about who benefits from it and who owes who. We need to follow the money. Keep those texts coming in to us. Uh, text or WhatsApp O E three three double one double three double one, or you can call Emma on 1800 938 007. William is on the line with us this morning. Hi, William. Hi, Ellie. How are you? I'm good, William. Good to talk to you this morning. Where do you stand on this Pascal Donoghue situation? Do you think he needs to resign?
8: No. Oh. I think this is um, like the amount of money is involved. Um, he was the first one to come forward and make a statement. Is that there was a, a, an error made, and I think if you were trying to hide something, would you come forward and say you made an error?
1: But he wasn't totally truthful. First of all, though, last week.
8: Ah, uh, you look. We're 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 now talking of somewhere about about eight between seven and eight hundred euros in in total. I think this is. This is a storm in a teacup, and it's absolutely, in my opinion, absolutely ridiculous. I think we have worse problems in this country besides 700 to €800 Euros of mislaid expenses put in the wrong column when, when there was a file made.
1: Well then it would raise the question then, wouldn't it, why is it being brought up and why is Pascal Dunhue being pulled over the coals? Is there something behind it?
8: Uh, look, we, we don't know that. But if if someone comes forward and say, I made an error in, 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 in making a return, it's the same as someone filing uh, tax returns and, and there was there was an error made in in, in in putting forward and someone says to their accountant, Look, I had capital gains, Murray something else, I didn't include it, now I wanted to include it. The revenue will probably come and wrap your knuckles for it. Yeah. So it's the very same principle here. But every time there's an error made in this, with this government now, the minister must lose their job. The TD wants to be kicked out of the doll, and the people that are talking about kicking them out have probably are, are are making more mistakes than anyone. Which is the Sinn Féin, which. There's money flying into their accounts, but it goes into the Northern side where they don't have to pay any tax.
1: Yeah, but then it raises the question: Do we hold Sinn Féin to a higher standard than we do any, anyone else? Because if Sinn Féin are involved in any kind of scandal in Verticamas or controversy, everyone is saying, "Oh, Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin." But when the government are doing it, it's like, "Oh, sure. it's it's nothing major. Just let them get on with it."
10: No, it's the
8: other way around. Actually, Ali, <laughs> it's 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 when whenever there's a mistake made on the government side, their seats have to go. We look at. At the start of this government, Brian Cowan, uh, not Brian Cowan, Barry Barry Cowan, Cowan, was Minister of Agriculture. He wasn't in the job five minutes and he had penalty, he had pints picked up when he was a provisional driver Mm. and he was kicked out of his job. Now, if that's a criminal offence for to lose your uh, ministerial post, call me Daisy. I think it was absolutely ludicrous at the start. We then had the... um, the new minister came in. He wasn't in at ten minutes. Gary McCleary, over the Clifton Gate. Mm. He was out. Phil Hogan was out, uh, also been at the same event. And still, when I went to the top of the the border during COVID, we had a funeral with uh, supposed to be a good Republican. Uh, filed all standing beside each other above at the the funeral, and while they were making a speech above in he was the, the person that was dead was going to a different was gone to a crematorium. Mm. So um, I, I just—it's think pot kettle black.
1: But should we not be holding our politicians to a high standard? And if they break the rules and the laws that they implement to us, should they not be held to account for that?
8: If it's a massive offence, as you were said, we're, we're talking here of a couple of hundred thousand or something. But we're talking of something money that's less even than a, than a thousand euros. Are we gone out of our, our gone out of our tree house altogether?
1: And I know, on the surface, the Pascal Donahue thing seems be minor—about maybe fourteen hundred euro in all. But if you dig underneath that, what you will see is the awarding of contracts, which can be worth millions.
8: Uh, that's a different. That's a different. Um, that's a different scenario. That, that's on this person, individual. I don't. That hasn't been proven, so there's no point to even using those because we're, all we're doing is blackening someone for something that we know absolutely nothing about did it happen did it not happen I you know, I, I think Pascal Donoghue is I think he's he's, he's he's a straight enough person so I don't think any of that stuff is going on but um, no I think that would be that would be harsh on him
1: Okay, so are you afraid then? And you raised the point about Barry Cowan as well—that it kind of set a precedent that any politician who's found in the wrong in in whatever regards that they should resign—and and that has set a dangerous precedent. Yes. Okay.
8: I think it's, it was it, w- it was wrong from the start. Um, you know, I th- I think Barry Cowan was, to be fair, and I'm not a fan supporter, but I I think in fairness to the man and his family, I think that was extremely harsh at the time. Um, look, if, if it was a penalty point, okay, some say breaking the law, but what, what, he was still, he didn't kill anyone, he didn't have a crash uh, he was just, he was caught drink driving on a provisional licence, that was bloody harsh at the time to lose your ministerial seat and I think in a state of a government, I think we actually lost a man that would be way better than what we have as minister of agriculture now, I think it was a big loss to the country
1: Would you be saying the same if it was a Sinn Féin TD or an independent
8: TD? I think on that instance alone, I think that was actually now Again, I thought it was a very, very minor thing. I think it's something that happened in their personal life. I think it's, that's extremely harsh.
1: Okay, well, thanks for your views this morning, William. Good to talk to you. <laughs> thank you Ali all the best thanks William a listener says um, I don't agree with that man if you rob a thousand euro from a shop or a hundred thousand it's still an offence we can't put offence down to the value of the offence Uh, Thomas says it's a disgrace what's going on with public representatives between houses not being declared to money being lost it's scandalous what's happening the powers of SIPO need to be improved and all TDs need to be checked we all know the golden circle is still alive and well in this country keep those texts coming in to us 083 Michael joins me on the line now Michael good morning to you Good morning Carl Now we were talking about the uh the, Quilch, uh, the land or as some people will call it the land grab by English companies and, and land here being privatised. I know you worked in forestry as well like Peter who we spoke to earlier in the show. What's your take on this story?
11: Well for starters I still work in uh, forestry Carl. Oh you still <coughs> Excuse work? Excuse me. Okay. Yeah, silver machines out there, and we lost a lot of drivers and machines over licenses and everything. My silver machines parked here, hundreds of thousands of euros worth, uh, because of the skullduggery and crap that's going on here in this country, particularly in the Department of Agriculture. Um, Pippa Hackett and all the head people within, for starters, within the Department of Agriculture, be sacked. It wouldn't happen in any other country. As far as I know, Josefa and Charlie McConlogue were in front of the officers which are supposed to be. Mr. Eden, there's a major quote has taken place today, today outside yeah. the Dáil, in relation to this land grab, if that's what you want to call it.
1: Yeah.
11: From my point of view, this is a sellout of Irish resources, what the taxpayers paid for back in the late 40s, early 50s and 60s when we tried to build up a landmass of forestry for the building industry in this country. Mm.
6: They
11: give employment to rural areas and small farmers and all that type of stuff. Now all that's going to go away. First starters, Quilcher are the ones that's going to be um, managing this, right? They're going to be getting back power to that massive grant and that's going to show them with massive profits again and they're going to be the goody-goodies of the country. Quilcher are not the goody-goodies of the country. Quilcher have done a serious amount of damage in this country in relation to forestry and to contractors in particular. And the difference is now, contractors are not afraid now to speak out because we're sick of it.
1: And what's the damage you're talking about, Michael? The damage is... For starters, the
11: conditions we have to work in, the pressure that we're under continuously to make payments on machines, the stupid rates that uh, we're cutting for, and Queen's will tell you, it's contractors themselves that are setting rates, and we do to a certain extent. But when you go back to look for a little extra to try and make a job pay, no, that's the rate, take it or leave it. It's not good enough anymore. But to go back to the point of this English company, all this money is leaving Ireland. I reckon over a billion euros will go out of Ireland. Not to mention the land is gone. Not to mention when this timber grows in the future, they can do what they want with it. Yeah. That doesn't stay here. They don't have to keep it here. It can go.
1: And I'm wondering, will the rights of way go? I mean, could walkers be stopped from walking can, in Woodland?
11: Uh, that is a, look, that's something for, for, for the lawyers to start out. But I would think if they say no, they, as landowners, they have the right to stop people going into it. Yeah. Now, I heard you talking a short while ago about uh, mm-hmm. woods being badly treated and things in relation to when they're harvested. Yeah. They are, from my point of view. And I, when you take um, other countries, and I've travelled to enough of them to know, they harvest the biomass, they take out an awful lot of stuff. Here in Ireland, it doesn't happen. And wood, the woods that have been replanted at the moment will never be proper us. Yeah. for the simple reason they will have what we call an outside edge to ho- all the trees. They'll be dirty, they'll be rough, they'll never grow properly.
1: Why aren't the stumps taken up then, Michael? Would that solve a lot of the problem?
11: It certainly would. There's a a, a hell of a percentage of timber in the stump for biomass. They continuously harvest them in other countries, particularly in France. Husband and wife teams. They harvest them, they bring them to the roadside, and then they crush them and and use that as, as, as biomass.
1: Why are we doing that
11: here? We're not doing it here. Why? Because there's a bureaucracy at the top. I remember many years ago, when I was much younger, I went to a certain person in Kewlia, and I asked him, "Would he give me the stumps for nothing if I have them?" And I was told no.
1: And what was their reasoning?
11: He wouldn't give me a reason. He said, "You're just, we're just leaving them there. They're not coming out." He wouldn't even listen to the proposal that was put to him at that time. So Kulitia, and I'm saying this straight out. Yeah. There needs to be a straight down the line investigation in Kewlia. Uh, and I'm a contractor. I'm on their property this minute, and this this could have repercussions for me. Be, be care about this, but I don't care. It's about time to say it and it has to be said. This is a company that needs to be looked into. And I guarantee you there's lads running for phones this minute as I'm on the phone.
1: And Michael, have you ever approached anyone in Queelshire with your concerns and your frustrations?
11: Oh, indeed we have.
1: And what are you met
11: with? We're just told, we're just told, that's the rate and that's it. We're cutting for rates now that we cut for 30 years ago. A particular machine, one of the machines I use, if I bought it new tomorrow morning, it cost me four hundred and fifty thousand plus of that. Wow. Without accessories. I have five of them.
1: And are you have, working have some of them Are you working twenty four hour cycles like what Peter no, said? No.
11: Oh. No, no. I didn't do that. It did happen. All that type of thing did happen. And unfortunately, guys are working fierce long hours. Can I say something? a man that works in the wood, a women, and I, there is women in the woods. Yeah. They are fantastic people. They're a very, very special, unique person. I'll tell you why. Who we'll gets out to their bed at half as three or four o'clock in the morning? There should be fine or clean down rain. Drives into a wood in the dark where they see nothing. Sits on the machine for 10 or 12 hours until the dark again at night and drive home and do that every day.
1: Yeah.
11: That's a very special person to me. Our government, our government has regarded us straight down the line. Most of the guys in those machines don't have pensions or nothing, yet they screw screws for tax and everything. And we get nothing back.
1: So what, are you this forestry thing in Ireland
11: needs to be looked at seriously.
1: Are you going to the protest today, William? I, I can't go today. I
11: genuinely can't. Other than that, I would be there. Yeah. I would be there. I took machines to Dublin last year. We met Pippa Hackett and McConnell the And you might as well be talking to the tyre on the machine. They'll come out, they'll meet you, they're all there, and yes, we do this, we'll do that. They've done nothing. And you know what's sick, uh, The people who are making rules for me don't work in forestry. They're not getting their wages out of forestry. They're getting it handed somebody them by the taxpayer. Yeah. It's ridiculous what's going on in this country. It has to be stopped. It has to be stopped. And the people of Ireland, their mothers and fathers paid for this forestry land for the people of Ireland. It has to be stopped. What's going on?
1: William, we'll have to leave it there for this morning. I appreciate you taking a call with us today.
11: Thanks, William. Cheers.
1: Thanks, William. Uh, that's William there. Let us know what you think. 1800 007 or 083 Just before we go to the ad break, I'll bring you a couple of texts. Listener says it's time for a general election in this country. Uh, Another listener said, I wish you would all shut up about Pascal and the rest of the government. There's a lot more important things to sort out, like housing and refugees coming into our little country. Get on with running the important things that need to be sorted. That's from Margaret. Uh, Another listener says, why is everyone acting surprised with all the government failures? This is what you all voted for. You were offered change in the last election and you chickened out. But you know what's amazing? You will all vote the same again. And that's what's scary.
0: Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. Apologies to poor old Michael. I
1: called him William there at the end. Yeah, there was Michael who was speaking to us so passionately um, about Quilch about forestry in this country. And as a contractor himself, uh, the struggles that he's facing in the industry and what sounds like very little support he's getting both from Quilcher and at government level as well. Keep those texts coming into us, 83 311 1 or 1800 007. Now, you may have heard during the week, it was yesterday actually, um, a complete alcohol ban. Being proposed by Councillor Phil Bogler at Balana Riverside Park to try and prevent further incidents of antisocial behaviour and damage. Carl joins me on the line now to discuss this. Carl, good morning to you.
4: Good morning, Ali. How are you?
1: I'm good, Carl. Good to talk to you this morning. What do you think? Do you think this is a solution to a big problem to ban alcohol in parks?
4: Alcohol in the park is not the problem. What's alcohol the problem? Is- Alcohol is the symptom of the problem. It's a good indicator that something's not right. Mm. Because, But at the same time, when we were all kids, did we go ditch drinking? Did we go drinking in the park? Yes, we did. Did we wind up waking up in fields half dead afterwards? Yes, we did. Did the same levels of antisocial behaviour happen? No, they didn't. So what has changed in the intervening time because alcohol is a funny drug it's one that we use either to enhance pleasure or to create pleasure to alleviate the stress right and they're not doing it to enhance pleasure they're already having they're doing it to alleviate whatever distress they're in and the distress for for an awful lot of these kids is the society they're living in it's a very difficult time to be a kid to be a young person, a young adult, in this particular uh, environment, society.
1: But Carl, wasn't it always difficult to be a teenager, though?
4: It was always difficult to be a teenager when you had to measure yourself against the maybe half dozen standout individuals who in your local locality, because there were always people who people looked at and were envious of and aspired to be, or whatever. And there were always pressures work pressures, life pressures. But now, thanks to the wonder of social media, you get to to um, compare yourself yeah. with hundreds of thousands of people. And they're all doing better than you. And they all have a brilliant life on Instagram.
1: But they're also a bit bolder, though, I think, Carl, because I remember back in the day when I was younger and, sure, look, there was none of us great and we all did things we shouldn't have done. But if I would have been approached by an adult, I would have just cried my eyes out and I would have died. This is,
4: this is, this is so now true. now they're
1: so aggressive, like they'll stand up to you now.
4: Absolutely. I, I, the, the respect that we had been accorded or that we accorded to adults and to people uh, older than us is being eroded very yeah. definitely i can actually give an instance of that that happened to me in the last week and that was while working at uh, an after-school environment where there were kids playing around
6: hmm.
4: i had to uh, go through a group of them who were standing in a hallway waiting to go home right. one of the staff said lads can you move there please And one of the kids turned around and looked me square in the eye at 11 years of age and said, I'm not moving. (gasps)
1: At 11?
4: so where does that come from? That's not societal, that's familial. That's somebody who has been taught that they are entitled to an opinion, they are entitled to be on the same level as the adult. And the pecking order of simply respecting your elders Now, I understand that the pecking order of respecting your elders led to all sorts of problems in the past, and it did. But just because things were done poorly doesn't mean you don't teach your kids respect. You teach your kids respect, and you teach them self-respect. Therefore, you teach them you have a voice, you can use it, but when you're using it, make sure that you're considering other people. And that's the part of antisocial behaviour that people don't seem to get. Antisocial behaviour disorder is the actual uh, clinical term. And antisocial actually is defined as a lack of empathy for others or remorse for the harm potentially done to others.
1: Which is also the same as psychopathy, though.
4: It's right on on the, the cusp of sociopathy. But that's not to say that Mm. everybody who engages in antisocial behaviour is a sociopath or the the term that gets bandied about, a narcissist. Mm. Because those people are actually incredibly few in number. But what you do have is traits that are left unchecked. And it's traits that are left unchecked because of not being corrected, because of being told that you're special and that your opinion matters and that you are the important person in your life, and nobody else is, then those things get amplified. Could it also...
1: Sorry, Carol, to interrupt. Could it also be indicative of somebody who's maybe coming from abuse or from a neglected household, and that old adage of hurt people hurt people?
4: Absolutely. It it can come from all sorts of walks of life. No one is immune. It's, It's more prevalent in some areas than in others. For instance, if you have people who are unhappy, because happy people don't create the antisocial behaviour.
1: Yeah.
4: Unhappy people do. So people who are discontented, they are the ones who will create it. And the discontent comes in many forms, but the most common form is lack of education, lack of money lack of parental involvement. And that's why it can be right across the board from a working-class council housing estate right up to uh, an international rugby player.
1: Absolutely. who
4: who in, In Belfast who got caught for doing what he did. And that kind of, I'm important and you're not, that particular type of thinking But that starts at the family and then is reinforced by the society.
1: But that's the thing. If it is happening in the home and if it's a familial thing, how can you um, counteract that? or How can you
4: interfere in that? It is really Mm -hmm. difficult. Um, One of the things that has been uh, made sacrosanct is that you can't say anything or do anything to a minor. Mm. Now, back in the day, uh, when community parenting was a thing, If you stepped out of line, an adult from your neighborhood would put you back in line and then if you went home and told your parents, they would say, wife, what were you doing? Yeah.
1: Or the neighbor was at the door with you to tell your parents what you did.
4: The opposite has become true. Now it's, you will not say that to my child. Yeah. The protection of the child has gone to all the rights but none of the responsibilities You've been given a voice and you've been given an opinion in our society, but you've not been told that with your opinion and your entitlement comes a responsibility to behave in the best way for the wider community. You're taught that it's me first. And that's why so many young people look up to characters like Andrew Tate.
1: Yeah.
4: And unless we have a paradigm shift in our society, then we are going to watch our society crumble and making an alcohol ban for a park in Ballina is not going to change antisocial behaviour because it'll still be antisocial behaviour there just won't be any alcohol on show
1: Yeah Carl, we're out of time I'm afraid but I I could spend the next hour talking to you, thanks for your insight (laughs) on that. It is
4: something that we could do a day long talk on and still not have scratched the surface Thank you very much for your time, Alex.
1: Thanks, Carol. He raised some great points there. Uh, David said that man, Carl, speaking about children, is 100% on the button. Very intelligent guy. Should be Minister for Children. Well done. Uh, Patrick also says, so agree with that man. We need to teach children respect for others and also for themselves. Although, another listener says, what's he waffling about? Young lads, teens are drinking for the buzz and the crack. Uh, teens are bolder and will stand up and give guff back. They're being led astray by parents, encouraging them to be assertive. Also, teenagers know too much from a young age because of access to the internet. They become adults before their minds can catch up. The snowflakes slash millennials are appearing in the workplace now and it's difficult to work with them. Keep those texts coming into us, Zoe three three double one double three double one 331
0: 1800 938 7 Welcome back to Tip Today. In the first hour, uh, we're
1: speaking about a lot of things, but we finished up the, the first hour with Carl, who was talking to us about antisocial behaviour and how it's, um, I suppose, a symptom of society, how young people behave now. Um, just to bring you some reaction to that a listener says on the subject of children... I heard a very disturbing piece of news yesterday. Parents are getting emails informing them that their seven-year-olds will be getting sex education, explaining all parts of the body, male and female, and their functions. It's disgusting taking away their innocence. I call it grooming. Parents need to put a stop to it. Another listener says respect isn't given, it's earned. And unless adults respect children, they won't respect them. Another listener says, unfortunately, adults have forfeited somewhat a right to absolute respect due to supposed role models being exposed as hypocrites. Child abuse and worse church cover-ups making children promise not to report and threatening excommunication. People of authority being found out, such as politicians and bankers. Children will follow by example. Another listener says, teenagers today don't know if they're male or female, so how can they respect their elders? Uh, another listener then says, don't forget the greedy shopkeepers who serve alcohol and vapes to children. Surely they have some responsibility. Keep those texts coming in to us this morning. 083 311 331. That's text or WhatsApp. Or Emma is standing by on the phone ready to talk to you. 1800 007. Now we're continuing that conversation about teen behaviour and antisocial behaviour. Pat joins me on the line now. Hi Hi Pat.
10: Good morning, Alice. How are you?
1: I'm good, Pat. Good to talk to you this morning. Now, this proposal to ban alcohol at the Riverside Park in Ballina. what do you think of it? Is it the right solution?
10: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Like, there's a lot of legislation uh, currently on the books at the moment in relation to sale of alcohol and abuse of alcohol, the misuse of alcohol. And I have seen that there's 7X out there that uh, can be enforced and a lot of that has got to do with, with um, when you're talking about banning alcohol inside the public parks, is drinking in, in a public area, which mm. is not allowed under the current legislation. Yeah. Now, putting up a sign that, um, if, if uh, uh, sorry, uh, uh, enacting a bylaw is absolutely correct. Like, we all love to go in our parks. We like to go for a walk. We, whatever the case would be, a lovely, fine day, go for a walk. We don't want to be disturbed by drunken louts, drunken people, Alcohol being, being being consumed and fear for our young people to, to walk the parks. I mean our young people, mm-hmm. children and things walking the parks, our old people that are going out for a walk and suddenly be uh, accosted by somebody that's inebriated. Yeah. No, uh, I, I totally agree that, look, at there's places where you can go and you can have your drink. You can go into pubs, you can go into hotels, whatever the case would be, restaurants. You can go home and drink it at home. But uh, the fact is that there's anything that's being consumed inside in parks means that they're either underage uh, or they're undesirable of some, of some sort. Mm. You know? but,
1: but like you said, there is already laws there, and I know there is a law there about um, drinking in a public area or something. So why do we need a bylaw then specifically for the park?
10: Well, some well, I think there's a more more so a, a, a notice or a notification to people when they're coming into the, the, the gate of the park, they see the sign, alcohol is not prohibitive or whatever the case may be by the current bylaw that's mm. inside. And and it, it may be a deterrent of one instance that, that you're not allowed to go in and do it. Like it, there's other things that you can't do inside in the park. You can't throw litter. You can't have dogs fouling. There's, yeah. there's you know, there's a load of, of, of legislation out there that's covering covering these things. And like by putting up a sign and telling people, look at you, you can't drink inside in the park, that's that's a no no anyway. Number yeah. one. But to, to inform them before they go in that they could be liable to prosecution, and I do think you now, in fairness to the Garda, the Garda are doing an, a, 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 a terrific job inside in, in Tipperary and, and all over in the jobs they do. But like there is a second onus on them to police it as well. Mm-hmm. Like a community guard, uh, even to cycle into a car, into a, a park or whatever the case may be, and just go around the park, be seen may deter people from from doing this. Now I, I've heard Carol there speaking, and he was very eloquent. And top class, he hit the nail in the head. Uh, going back to when we were young, when I was young, uh, we were expected to, to respect the uniform, the cloth, old people, and property. Yeah. And if we'd done anything outside of that, you know, we would be punished. Yeah. Or uh, from our parents. And that's what we were. That's the way we were brought up. But I don't think that's there anymore. You know, like Conor was alluding there to to, to, to a child. Uh, Standing up to his, you know, I know you can you can tell a child. You have to stand up to your, stand up for yourself if you're approached by an adult. But like there's certain instances where that come in. Obviously, that child is coming from a, a different type of background that he has to stand up to everybody.
1: I think
10: so that's a problem. That for, 17, 18 years of age, what's he, what's he going to
1: do? And that's the thing. And I think it's a problem that every parent has because you want to raise a child that's assertive and isn't afraid to stand up for themselves. But then, uh, you know, you, you go to the other end of it, then, and maybe you're raising someone who's too assertive and maybe a bit cocky. Absolutely. And, there, there has so
10: to be there yeah, has middle to be ground. A, yeah, there has to be a discussion uh, uh, with the child or with the, the, the parents, with their children. Because today is a different day than yeah. when we were. We had no such thing as social media. Uh, oh, the God. local paper came out once a week. Uh, you might see the court cases inside it, and you wouldn't be told about them if you were very, very young. Yeah. You know, um, now there is, uh, you said there, in one of the texts that came in there, about sex education for a child of seven years of age. Mm-hmm. Absolutely bonkers. Yeah. Absolutely bonkers. The child still believes in Santa.
4: Yeah.
10: You know, at seven years of age. What are, you, what are you going to do? You're taking away the innocence of the poor child. You know, uh, and what are you educated for?
1: And that's the problem. So do you think alcohol, it, it's more than an alcohol
10: problem? Yes, there is more There is more than that. Look, you know, at the social, the unsocial behaviour that's going on, we've seen it all over. Um, the, the, the the kids that are, are the, and we call them kids, kids that are in secondary school, and not a lot of them have no respect for the elderly, or no re- respect for, for people or property. And it's very, very hard to educate those people. Imagine when they leave school, when they get a bit assertive, when they get their first week's wages, or whatever the case may be, or whatever it is. Maybe if they can't get a job, what will they do? You know, it's it's a very difficult thing. But I do think that that there's a whole host of problems inside there. And Carol hit the nail on the head. As regards, we start with our young people, and we try in education, we try and get them to respect, as I said to you, the, the, the uniform, the cloth, and, and the days now are, say, the Gardaí or whatever, everybody's in uniform, nurses, they're all in uniform. The is obviously, the, the, the priest, you know, that's another uh, story. Uh, the old elderly people have a small bit of respect for the elderly people. They've, they've, they're trying to get on with their life or whatever it is. And, property.
1: Yeah. and another uh, issue I think, Pat, is that all teenagers now are being painted with the same brush because I, I was up in Ballinay yesterday, I spoke to Councillor Phil Bugler and, and local people there, and they were saying that the kids who live locally love where they live, they appreciate the amenities that they have on their doorstep, they mm-hmm. adore it there, and the problem is you've k- teenagers coming in on the bus from Limerick who are just yeah. coming in and running riot and destroying the place.
10: Well, that's that's a that's a that's a, a that's a different thing. Obviously, they're mitching from school or whatever the case may be, and they're taking a, a bus ride. It that is that is wrong, you know. And and, and, and I know we're all, we're painted. There's an awful lot of good people out there, and, and you've seen that we've just seen selected, like which is a, a brilliant thing. The BT Young Scientists of the Year. Yeah. And those two, chi- two, two lads in, in in tip town uh, how, how well educated they were, how nice and mannerly they were, how they could uh, explain. Absolutely. uh spread to their parents you know, yeah clear, concise. Now they are very, very good young people. I mean, we shouldn't be painting them all with the wrong now you get adults too that are Absolutely. going to be on social behaviour inside, inside in, in in, in parks, you know, and causing a disturbance. You know, yeah. but there is there is seven acts out there that that one of the strictest laws in this country is the sale of alcohol and also the use of alcohol and the misuse of alcohol. Yeah. And it can be enforced. You know, there's fines of up to five hundred euro, right? Take a few people to court. Show them what, what it's like, you know, if they're caught.
1: Yeah, make an example. Pat, great to talk exactly. to you this morning. Thanks for calling in. Yes.
10: You're very welcome, Alison. Bye-bye. All the
1: best. Thanks, Pat. That's Pat there. Let us know what you think. 083 311 Yesterday on the show, we mentioned government officials uh, reports that they believe 60% of Ukrainians that come to Ireland will remain here even after the war ends. In a briefing document given to Minister Simon Harris when he took over temporary responsibility for the justice portfolio in recent weeks. Now, government officials outline the reality of how many Ukrainians will remain and the number of people seeking international protection, which is becoming a growing problem. One of our listeners, Austin, joins me now. Austin, Good
6: morning to you. Hi, good morning, Alison.
1: Good to talk to you this morning, Austin. What do you make of this? I think it's quite a contentious issue. I think people very it, it much is. divided well,
6: on it. Well, what it is doing, um, it's always easy to blame minorities and to blame immigration for all your problems. And, you know, you know, there's a learning from the UK. You know, the UK blamed all their problems on immigrants. uh, They—that's the reason for Brexit was immigrants. Too many immigrants coming in from the EU, taking over housing, uh, forming queues in A&E and whatnot. Yeah, and seven years on from Brexit, without any EU people coming in and whatnot, they have even worse problems now. Yeah, Uh, you know the, the the problems were not down to immigration; they were down to politicians and very poor management in a lot of areas and that hasn't changed. Uh, you know the the immigration issue is just a you know a smokescreen for the failures of politicians, you know. In in like when Brexit was happening, you know, if you had a heart attack, you would be seen by an ambulance in in the UK within 10 minutes, you yeah? know. Mm. And nowadays it's it can be up to 90 minutes if you get a heart attack and it's top priority, it could be 90 minutes before you're seen by an ambulance. And this is seven years after the UK have voted for Brexit. And likewise with housing, they still haven't built the houses. So there's an enormous housing problem in the UK. So all of this, I would call it a bit of, um, you know, it's misguided. The focus should be on improving the services, not preventing people who are coming from war-torn countries uh, giving them shelter. You
1: know? I understand what you're saying, and if I'm to read it correctly, you're saying that we're scapegoating immigrants to a certain That's degree. Right. That's and I right. Under, I understand what you're saying, but you can't blame people for being frustrated when they're seeing young men come into this country with no documents who are looking for asylum. That's what makes people cross and makes well, people resentful.
6: You know, many young men went over to, for Irish men went over to America and the UK you know, they didn't, you know, they, they, went over, they went over to the UK or America undocumented as well, you know. They did, but they it, didn't it, get it, housed and they
1: didn't get money. Well,
6: I don't, you know, they're not being given vast quantities of money. You know, it's, it's the money they're getting is minuscule in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Mm. I mean, no, we were talking about corruption earlier on in the programme. Yeah. And that's what people should be focusing on, corruption. And the problem is it's so endemic. Now, it seems to me from outside, it's just so endemic that Irish people just turn off you know that hospital in Dublin what's happened to it you know it, it's gone from a few hundred million to a billion two billion could even be three billion by the time it's built the children's only, hospital yeah there's, there's only there's only 300 beds in there yeah that's 10 million pounds per bedroom 10 million pounds per bedroom it's it's the equivalent hospital in Spain a few years ago it cost 150 million to build finish everything yeah and, you know, and here to we faster. are, and here we are now batting an eyelid at it costing 3,000 million. Not batting an eyelid. That junction in Turles that they spent half a million on. You know, I mean, has it improved things? I don't think so. And yet half a million was spent on it.
1: Austin, does it worry you, this growing resentment towards refugees? It does.
6: It does, because there's, there's a precedent here in history. And I know people would say, oh, you're exaggerating. But there is a precedent in history. In the 1930s, you know, the Germans were suffering, a lot worse than the Irish are suffering today. But the Germans were suffering. And who did they take their, their who did the, you know, the, some of the politicians said, oh, it's all because of the Jews. It's all because of the Jews. And, you know, German people then started saying, oh, yeah, maybe it is all because of the Jews. Yeah, it's all because of the Jews. And, okay, it just started out with them resenting the Jews. And then the politicians gradually ratcheted it up and ratcheted it up to an extent that the Jews then were totally despised and were treated, you know, totally, utterly appalling. And you can see, you can see how certain certain sectors of Irish society now are ratcheting up this hatred against refugees and you know protesting outside where they're being housed. And there's women and children in there being housed. And you know, it, it's it's. It's scary, really. It's scary. It, I mean, people people may feel aggrieved, but really they should be looking at the corruption in the country rather than just taking it out on some refugees that are fleeing war or whatever. Yeah, there's always, there's always a few, how should we say, characters that yeah. would come in through the system, but, you know, there's plenty of Irish characters in England, you know, um, getting housing and whatnot, you know, that probably don't deserve it, but you know, that's the, that's the way they know how the system works, so they're well able to play the system. Yeah. You get that everywhere. But I think on another level, you know, we have to look at corruption. And, you know, you had a uh, caller earlier talking about that politician. Um,
1: Pascal like, Donahue.
6: You know. Yeah. That, you know, you to, people should know that the politicians should be squeaky clean on these things. It's got nothing to do with the... Um, the whole point of the legislation being there is that you don't have backhanders then when you're giving out contracts. And you don't have kinda of sneak, you know, paper bags and whatnot. Um and it looks as if it looks to all intents and purposes, you must have. You know, if he's if he's accepting money for nothing and keeping it under the radar, then you know, that, that there is a. you don't do that for nothing. Yeah. You don't. You know, oh I think he was a great man. Or oh I forgot I mean, if if you if that police raided your house and you had all stolen goods in your house and you said, Oh, I didn't realise they were stolen, you know, they wouldn't it wouldn't wash. Yeah. You know.
1: All right, Austin, good to talk to you this morning. We'll have to leave it there. Thanks for joining us. All the best. Uh, Listener says, uh, what's that man talking about? No immigration problem in the UK? How many illegals cross the channel daily from France? They will eventually make their way to Ireland. Has he not seen the riots inside the accommodation? Open your eyes. That's from Alan. Uh, Patrick, though, says, totally agree with Austin. Failing at the top level of government and management levels, why open the country to refugees and then not look after them? Another listener says that man is totally wrong. Irish people, when they immigrated, had people to sponsor them out and they stayed with relatives until they got work and were able to earn. And keep the messages coming in. Text or WhatsApp Oe 311 double three double one or 1800 938 007.
12: Tip FM's
0: Tip Today with Fran Curry in association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main pugil dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie. Welcome
1: back to Tip Today. Just to bring you some breaking news this morning, the High Court has ruled that teacher Enoch Burke is to be subject to a fine of 700 euro a day if he does not purge his contempt by 2 p.m. tomorrow. Mr Burke attended Wilson's uh, Hospital School in County Westmeath for a third day today. That's following his dismissal from his position last Friday. He was again dropped off at the school by his father this morning. He was, of course, previously jailed after failing to observe a court injunction banning him from attending the school where he was suspended. Uh, Mr Burke voiced on several occasions his opposition to a request from the school's principal, of course, to address a child by their name and refer to them by the pronoun they. So what he's now facing today, he's at the school again this morning and the High Court has ruled that he is facing a fine of €700 a day if he does not purge contempt by 2pm tomorrow. So it's a story that's just running and running. Uh, let us know what you think about it. Keep those texts coming into us. 083 311 311 or 1800 Also, a complaint, a complaint uh, that we're um, promoting anti limerick sentiment on the show this morning. Uh, This was in relation to the story in Ballina and Councillor Phil Bogler, I went up and met with her yesterday. And she was telling me that they feel that a lot of the source of this antisocial behaviour and uh, damage, and I saw the damage for myself, it was completely devastating to the toilet block and shower block that's there on the uh, riverside in, in Ballina. And Councillor Bugler was making the claim that it's what they think is happening is that there's buses from Limerick coming out and stopping in Ballina. I think Ballina is the first stop on this bus route. And that's where these kids are coming from that are doing a lot of the damage. And a listener says that we're disgraceful and we're creating anti-Limerick sentiment on the show this morning and taking issue that we didn't challenge that with Councillor Bugler. Uh, yeah, well, you know, Councillor Buckler's in the area, and and this is what she's seeing. So, you know, we have to take her, uh, we have to take her at face value on that. That's what they believe that it, it's kids coming out from Limerick who are doing this. And that's her claim, so I'm sorry if you feel like we're being anti-Limerick. We're only anti-Limerick on the show when it's to do with hurling. All right, so apologies about that. Keep those calls coming in to us. Emma is also standing by on the phone. Now, one of our residents, Michael, was in touch with
9: concerns
1: regarding the Ballyduff Road in Tumalboros. He joins me now. Michael, good morning to you.
9: Morning to you.
1: Good to talk to you this morning, Michael. Tell us, what are the issues in Tumalboros?
9: One issue that most people have is they just us the road. All from Monday
1: to Saturday. From Monday now, to Saturday.
9: Monday to Saturday, yeah, that's what I was told to
1: And what's but, the stretch uh, we're, th- we're, we're talking about here? How I long is
9: it? Um, I saw it. Ned Hayes is the day, council of State just finished, and I want to do a saws crossing across the road. Okay. And uh, the they water done. They had the road coming out. They had it lined and all stop signs, everything, the whole lot in the road, and next thing they to the site and dig it up again.
1: How long is this going to take? And then cross the
9: road. Now there's an estate off the road, a brand new estate under the, the, the Dublin Road, which they never had to block the traffic. Just cross the road on one side and let the traffic up on the other side, and do the exact same thing with sewers and go down into it, and job is done. But this way, they blocked it off completely. Right. Now, people have to bring their cars up from the three estates and park them above in the village and park them in and Park and places like that. Now, if they needed a doctor, a police, an ambulance, a fire brigade, they could not get through there because it's blocked 24-7. Oh,
1: God. How long has that been happening?
9: Since Monday, now, they did put it on TIPFM, but that's the only uh, explanation that on the first put it on FM that the road will be blocked. Now, there's no signs up uh, for diversions here diversions the there. There's only one sign in the village, diversion back into Thomas. Okay. At the moment, like, we want to get to the off Road, you have to copy Mary Willys, turn down the new road and back down, back into mine. I'm back up to the Ballad Up Road again.
1: Okay, and Irish Water didn't have any contact with residents ahead of these weeks?
9: Not at all, not at all. Nobody, no contact with nobody. Wow. And any no. idea
1: how long it's going to last for?
9: Saturday. Until Saturday. Saturday. But the thing about it is, what I'm kind of mad over, like
1: hmm.
9: if a person wanted an ambulance,
1: yeah.
9: a doctor, a fire brigade, anything, they couldn't get through. And all the elderly people are living down there in them estates. And they were able to do another estate up the road, up the Dublin Road, it's only a short distance, only about 50 yards up the road. And they were able to do that, would let the traffic up one side and the traffic down the other side.
1: Right.
9: Why this crowd couldn't do that, I don't know.
1: And is there a diversion in place then, Michael, because I of
9: wanted it? to sign diversion in the that that's not going up for Mary Willie's send them halfway to go or not. Oh gosh. Now I I spent thirty five years walking with the water service.
12: Yeah.
9: I was in the source work at the time of the building of that place. I have never came across that night in my life.
1: And Michael, have you approached anyone working there just to test? Oh, them? I
9: should have put all creators there early. walkers so they didn't know that.
1: That's the yeah, but they might be able to clarify some of it for well, you. Well,
9: that's as much as what they clarified. That's that we were told to do this and we're doing it, and yeah,
1: the
9: you 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 missed the crowd by the crowd that was over about an hour and they were gone.
1: Oh my goodness! Uh, um, I think it's
9: pure, solid disgrace.
1: I presume it's not going down well locally, not just with you, but with, oh, with your neighbours. Oh, God
9: neighbors. almighty, I'm just ringing you up because I was working in the source, truck there in the water service and people have been asking me questions. Yeah. To so know could I find out, Well, I, I can't find it out.
1: I know there's a lot of criticism of how Irish Water operates, particularly in circumstances like this. As somebody who has worked in in that kind of field previously, do you see a huge difference between how you would have done things before compared to how it's done now?
9: Oh, God almighty, yeah. We'd notify the people and we'd always go around as much as possible to the people and tell them exactly. But we never blocked off the road in 35 years. Yeah, Never blocked off the road completely. We'd always have one side down and one side up. Just doing it halfway across and then, you know what I mean? Yeah. Off on the other side.
1: So it's a bit more considerate, you're saying?
9: Oh, yes, without yeah. a doubt, yeah. Uh,
1: okay, well, Michael, uh, we did put when in... We,
9: when we were walking for the water service before and not really any The council, everything hmm. was done perfect.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and with people This is
9: totally ridiculous, altogether what they're after doing up there.
1: Well, Michael, we have sought a statement from Irish Water on it. We're still waiting to hear from them. We did email them yesterday, but we're still waiting to hear. And if we hear anything, we'll let you know, OK?
9: I'd say you'll be waiting, <laughs> I'd
1: say I might. Yeah. Michael, <laughs> good to talk to you this morning Bye. and take care up there.
9: Bye. All oh, best.
1: Thanks, bye, Michael. Bye. Oh, it's a shame, isn't it? I think a lot of people do complain about that, maybe a lack of consideration, particularly where Irish Water maybe are concerned. Uh, and Michael raising the point of of what's happening on Ballyduff Road in Tumalboros. Keep those texts coming into to us. 083311 331. or 1800 007. <coughs> Uh, now I'm sure a big talking point particularly in sports this week is the Kilmacud Croak story. Now they're keeping their counsel today after the bombshell confirmation that Glenn will be formally objecting to the outcome of last Sunday's AIB All-Ireland Club Senior Football Final. Kilmacud's two-point victory over the Derry Champions has been shrouded in controversy since footage emerged to confirm they had 16 active players on the pitch. Some would say even 17 during the dying moments of that Croak Park decider. John O'Shea is a freelance sports journalist and he joins me now. John, good morning.
13: Uh, good morning.
1: Good to talk to you this morning, John. I know it, this was a very tough position for Glenn to be put in. Do we know what was the catalyst for them deciding to lodge this appeal?
13: Look, we all know that the, the, the final took place in Croke Pass last uh, weekend. <clears throat> Crokes emerged victorious uh, one eleven to 1-9. But the outcome of uh, this result now has been challenged by, by Glenn uh, after Crokes had or as you said maybe 17 players on the pitch <coughs> as they took a, a 45 metre free in injury time mm. uh, the Corks had two players substituted Paul Mannion and Darren Mullen was, was replaced by Tom Fox and Conor Casey uh, Mannion had decided the pitch about to come off uh, when the 45 was taken while Mullen remained on the goal line and Lin's when, uh, subsequent attack went wide <coughs> But the club then asked the the CCCC to provide clarification on the matter. Yeah. And we are led to believe that the club was instructed that under the uh, official guide uh, an investigation could only be launched (coughs) if then officially submitted an objection. Uh, Despite the official guide stating uh, and in draft the comments potential infractions to the rule can be investigated by appeal or an inquiry by the the committee in charge. Now, the committee in charge was the CCCC, <clears throat> so they, they, they choose uh, not to start an investigation. So, uh, subsequently, anyway, on Tuesday night, Glenn forwarded an objection to the relevant authority, which is the, the CCCC in Cork Park.
1: Yeah.
13: And uh, because they had 72 hours in which to lodge that objection from the time of the throw-in, which was 3.30 on Sunday. So they actually had uh, until 3.30 on, uh, on Wednesday to, to, to do it. But they done it on Tuesday night. Uh, we understand that the, the GNL has followed Jen's uh, objection to Kilmacud Croaks <clears throat> on Wednesday morning, 11 o'clock being the, the time on Wednesday morning. So then, to take it a step further, Croaks, Kilmercud would have the right to uh, counter-object and they have 72 hours to, uh, from the receipt of that correspondence to counter-object. So, so that they would have be until 11,
1: Saturday, isn't it?
13: That it would be 11 o'clock on Saturday. Uh, they could also choose to inform the, the CCC that they won't be uh, counter-objecting. And um, they could also submit a, 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 you know, a written admission that they had the stated amount of players on the pitch uh, uh, as alleged by Glenn in the objection, you know. So these are the things that happen. Um, if courts counter-object and don't submit a uh, written admission, the, uh, you know, the CCC can hold a meeting to decide on the matter. Uh, and wh- where when this meeting will take place, uh, you know, it, it actually depends on the actions that crookes Kim McCudd will decide upon, you know. Isn't that, it- that's where it is.
1: Yeah, isn't it very unfair of the GA to put both clubs in this situation that that it's been left to them when, like you said, this was a, an issue to do with maybe the refs and the linesmen not following, um, not following rules on this. And no, now it's you see, it's not, you see,
13: people are, people are getting mixed up in that. What happened was whether we whether do we like it or not, there was sixteen stroke, seventeen players on the field. We can blame linesmen, we can blame that, but ultimately. In my opinion, the responsibility is with Corks Kilmaicod. They okay. didn't take off their players and they put on two players. Right now, that probably puts into question the way substitutions are made in the GA, and I think they will have to be changed. A very, very simple, very, very simple way of substitutions in all GA games is the person being substituted should come off the field at the halfway line, and then the the person replacing him goes on. Yeah. That would be a simple way, and I'm talking about even people coming off injured, because the referee and the officials, they can wait until the substitution takes mm. place, because then that time, it <coughs> would be added on afterwards.
1: So, like soccer? Now,
13: like soccer, I think they do it that way in soccer. Now, the other side of the coin is that um, the, 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 the penalties for this, there is a slight difference in the penalties uh, if it comes by way of an objection, as in this case from Glen, or if it was carried out uh, 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 as a result of an investigation by the CCCC. And the difference being is uh, there, there is an objection by Glenn in at the moment. So the CCC now, if they find uh, and uphold the objection, uh, there are three uh, op- penalties options uh, open to them. One is uh, to forfeit the game, which would be, uh, sorry, to award the game to Glenn.
1: Yeah.
13: The second one would be a replay, and the third one would be a fine. OK, the penalties open to them as a result of the, of the CCCC carrying out an investigation uh, without an objection from Glenn would be the same thing, except they, the game would be forfeited, but it wouldn't be uh, a to the opposition. But in, 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 uh, in other words, there'd be no winners of the All-Ireland in two, 2023. Wow. Uh, the other option again would be a fine or a replay.
1: Could I ask you uh, before I let you go, John? What do you think? What would be your prediction on what's going to happen?
13: I, I, I think uh, you know by what we know that uh, Phil McCord we uh, are guilty. So I think I don't think there'll be any question of the the, the forfeiture of the game. Uh, probably a, a replay or a, a big fine. I suppose maybe if I had to, if uh, the fact that it happened uh, in, the, in 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 injury time. Um, I know, uh, and there's probably a bit of culpability as regards the fourth official and all this thing. I wouldn't be surprised uh, if the GA, the CCCC, uh, put a big fine on Corks Kilmacur. Now, that's only my opinion.
6: Yeah.
13: Uh, uh,
1: We'll have to wait and see, John. We'll have to
13: wait and see, and probably nothing will happen before the weekend anyway.
1: Absolutely. John, thanks for talking to us this morning. Great to talk to you. That's uh, John O'Shea there, a freelance sports journalist. Uh, I know Sunday, a lot of people have been talking about Sunday being a day for replay, but given the process that these appeals and counter appeals have to go through, it could be maybe a week, week and a half before we really find out what's going to happen. But... uh, certainly going to set a precedent for GAA anyway, that's for sure. Uh, just to bring you some text before we go to the ad break, a few texts in on Enoch Burke actually. Listeners are saying, what about Enoch Burke's civil rights? Another listener says Enoch Burke is entitled to his religious beliefs and should not be persecuted for those beliefs. Another listener says, good on Enoch. You have done nothing wrong. If there was a female teacher there and the pupils were forced to call her a he, how would that go? Keep those texts coming into to us. Uh, 083 double one. 3311 or 1800 938 007. We're back with farming after this.
12: If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1800 938 007.
1: Welcome back to Tip Today. It's time for our weekly farming slot and Katrina Morris, the editor of the Farmers Journal, joins me on the line now. Katrina, good morning.
5: Good morning.
1: Good to talk to you this morning, Katrina. We're going to start with the front page story this morning. It's under the headline, Board BIA to ratchet up farm audits. What's that about?
5: Yes, I suppose farmers are never um, enthusiastic about the thought of a farm inspection, but one that they do have to regularly go through is the Board BIA audits on farms. It's required to get a I suppose, quality assured status for your product, whether that's milk or beef. Um, or sheep meat and there is an overhaul An overhaul going on um, farmers will be subject to what looks like a fairly significantly more onerous audit process um, there's going to be new types of checks going to happen during the audit and one of those is a kind of an animal welfare check where they'll be inspected on things like adequate space for housing um, but also new things like um be assessed for what I call slightiness. So uh, the auditor will go into, for example, cattle in a shed, and they will see how close they can get to the cattle before the cattle run away from them. Oh, um, yeah. So it's it's a new aspect. It is uh, it is I suppose uh, it's a measure of animal welfare in terms of um, their ease with humans. I, I'm guessing, um, but they'll also be looking at things like coat condition and general animal behaviour. Do the animals look well? Do they look well rested? You know, do they have the appropriate um, accommodation and all of the the different feeding arrangements. Um, Farmers will also be taking part in a new digital sustainability platform. Now, this one is not just Bordbea. It's developed with Chagas and ICBS. Um, And through that, they will have to draw up what's called a sustainability action plan every 18 months that will list the measures that they can take on their farms to reduce emissions.
1: I can hear the brains from here, Katrina.
5: Farmers have a lot of sustainability action plans at the moment. And I uh, suppose what's interesting about this one is we don't know yet whether farmers will risk losing their quality assured status for their products, like their beef and their sheep meat and their milk, if they don't follow this plan in full. So we did ask Board Bia what was the case. You know, Could farmers be at risk of losing their quality assured status? Board Bia has said it's premature to comment because this system is still in development it won't be signed off by a technical advisory committee until later this year. But farmers are going to need to know about this sooner rather than later because some farmers are going to be required to sign up to this new audit system as part of the new um, beef scheme, which is opening in March. So the clock is ticking, I think, for farmers to find out more about this.
1: Yeah, you'd be afraid for older farmers then who maybe aren't so tech savvy will it chase them out of the industry.
5: Absolutely, and this is a constant problem. You know, uh, I suppose bringing things online is sometimes touted as absolutely the best thing to do. It's not for some people, mm-hmm. and the, the, you know, the age population of Ireland's farmers is on the older side. There are lots of people who, if you're not, you know, if you don't use technology in your job. You're going to be you know, probably a little far behind the general population. And then when you're talking about online platforms, and uh, I suspect it will cause a problem for farmers. Yeah, no doubt about it. An
1: exclusive as well on the front of the Farmers Journal this week. And this is the news that Don Meats is to buy Kildare Chilling.
5: That's right. Yeah, so Kildare Chilling, a very important factory um, in the country. It's in Kildare Town. But well, it's a very, very um, important factory, particularly from the point of view of uh, lamb producers. So while it's in Kildare, it actually draws animals in from all over the country. A lot of producer groups in the West and the Northwest bypass um, meat factories that are closer to them to go to Kildare Chilling because it has been well known for giving better prices. Um, and it, it's responsible for, we think, about 20% of the national sheep kills. So wow. it's a big player. Um, Dawn Meats is set to buy it. Um, we understand that this will be subject to kind of approval by competition authorities because Kildare Chilling is you know an independent meat factory, um, for both beef and sheep. Um but taking that out and bringing it into a chain, uh, you know, a big business like Dawn Meats will naturally reduce the competition in the market for both cattle and sheep.
1: OK, um, a story as well that we've had a lot of reaction to today, and that's this very controversial Quilchia deal. What's the latest on it?
5: Yeah, the latest on this, and it is really, you know, I suppose it's, it's not going away, this problem for the government. Um, this week we were told by the Taoiseach, the Taunista, and the Minister for Agriculture that this joint venture model that Quilchia has signed up to with the British Investment Fund, Gresham House, all three have said this is not their preferred model. Wow. Nonetheless, they're not going to push Quilter to back out of that model. It looks like. Um, they're saying that Quilter are in have signed a five-year contract with Gresham House to set up the um, uh, the fund that they have set up to, to buy forestry and for, forestry suitable land. It um, doesn't look like the government are going to roll back on it, but it is really causing them problems. Um, they were in front of the, Agri- the Agricultural Committee again last night, Minister McConnelogue and Minister Pippa Hackett, and they got another roasting. It's the latest in a series of roastings mm-hmm. I think they've got. Um, but it's, it's not. there's nobody happy about it, it seems, other than previous Aggressive House and the Department of Agriculture because we've seen woodland groups, we've seen farming groups, we've seen rural TDs, we've seen urban TDs all criticise this joint venture model.
1: Is it absolutely a done deal?
5: It would seem so, based on what we've heard this week, Minister um, Charlie McConlogue has said several times that Quilter are in a five-year contract. Look, nothing's over until the fat lady sings, yeah. but that's the position he's taking at the minute. The Kielger have signed up a five-year deal. We know that they've already bought land in North and mm. um, So this is not a future venture, if you know what I mean, it is already underway, so it wouldn't be easy to undo it, and certainly Minister McConlogue is saying that it can't be undone it is a five-year contract
1: And I, It's certain to ramble on, I think Another interesting one is is what you describe as the out-of-control rise and spread of DEER
5: Yeah, farmers would describe it as out of control. And actually, you know, with lots of anecdotal, and certainly I'm at the foot of the Knockmeal Downs here, we see deer much more regularly now than we would have um, 15 or 20 years ago. The deer are spreading. And this was um, my colleague Noel Barden got in touch with a UCD project, which has been mapping both the population rise and the geographical spread of deer in different parts of the country. And this external, you'll see, you know, the the, the extent of how much uh, the three species of deer have moved from their original uh, areas. Mm. So we've sika deer, red deer, and fallow deer. They're all in different parts of the country, but they are all expanding out from where they were originally found. We have interviews with several farmers, including Tom Byrne in Wicklow, where farmers are really really upset about the risk of TB from deer. Um, there were Department of Agriculture tests of deer done up there a couple of years ago which found that 16 percent of you know a random selection of deer that were shot um, had TB. The farmers believe it's a bigger problem than that 16 percent um, and then other politicians and other farmers are raising things like road safety issues. Yeah. Um, you know they're getting their grazing land or their silage ground grazed. Um, and they say that the population is out of control.
1: Okay, Katrina, great to talk to you this morning. And the Farmers' Journal, of course, available uh, almost everywhere, I think, from today. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks, thousand. Thanks, Katrina. would love to get your views on on all of those, particularly the deer situation. Because, um, you know, I see it myself, Katrina, was talking about the foot of the Knockmill Downs. I'm at the foot of the Galtees. We have it as well. Uh, but what's to be done is, is a call, the answer. But it, it sounds almost cruel. But let us know what you think. 0833113311 1800 938007.
10: Tip Today with Fran Curry With
0: Slattery's Garage, puck on You can't beat experience With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today, the final hour of this
1: morning's Tip Today. We are talking about a lot this morning just to bring you um, some texts that we've been getting in in relation to um, a potential Deer Call. A listener says, Leave the deer alone. Animal populations tend to self-regulate naturally. Unlike humans, of which we have far too many of on the planet, thousands of deer are shot annually in Ireland uh, during licensed hunting seasons. Anyhow, so that's another control. Another listener says, can she call the deer and give the meat to people to feed the homeless? Uh, in relation to Enoch Burke, then a listener says Enoch Burke should get a placard and protest outside the school once he keeps moving. Uh, nothing anyone can do with a peaceful protest. Keep those texts coming in to us, 0833113311 or 1800938007. Now it's that time on a Thursday. Delighted to be joined by Muriel Cuddy, CEO of Marito 8020. Muriel, good morning. Morning, Ali. Uh, what we're going to discuss this, we could get very deep now on this. So yeah. just a warning. It's about beauty and the link between beauty, happiness and age. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people would say... Um, what comes first then? Is it because are you happy because you're beautiful or do you become beautiful because you're happy? Do you it's,
14: know what I mean? Isn't it funny? Because um when the, when this debate started, so this, I suppose, has kind of gone on at work all week. So that's why this is. And, you know, I want it to be light enough as well because there's yeah. a lot of heavy topics around and I'm listening to you all morning or whatever. So for just somebody listening in, it's, I suppose, take the take the lighter side of it. Somebody said to me during the week, you don't look your age, you know. And I was like, uh, you don't know what age I am. Like, so you might have an idea what age I am. So they're assuming an age. So they're assuming an age. Yeah. yeah. And like, then I got, got me thinking like, well, who says what age 40 is or what way you're supposed to look at 40 or yeah. what way you're supposed to look at 50? Because like 20, 25 and 30 years ago, say the mom haircuts that people talk about and the different, there was a different look. Yeah. And you've definitely looked older. At 40 and 50. So, like, what is your age as in? What age am I supposed to look at my age? I don't know, you know. But arguably, would you have been
1: more comfortable then as a 40-year-old, maybe looking older, but you didn't have the pressure to be beautiful? Now you're telling people my age. (laughs) It's my age.
14: That's what I was getting at. No, I'm only slagging. Yeah, but definitely, like, because, like, in clinic, and I've seen so many people this month, right, and what really drives people um, say weight is a major issue right and weight is a major issue for everyone so from say start at your early 20s, start at late teens, your weight defines you very early on so if you're playing a lot of sport and you're slim and fit you have a social network and a social outlet possibly go out a lot after games friends are there and all the bits and pieces if you're not that kind of a person and you happen to be overweight or whatever it kind of puts you down a different path socially you know Mm. and that moves on then say we're probably at our fittest if you're going to get married or whatever it is or you're in your late 20s, early 30s maybe high to your career you're flying along through your career you know the importance of being well and you want to be slim and fit and trim for your wedding you head on then to your late 30s two, three kids later uh, can't train as much maybe anyone that was playing sport isn't playing sport anymore so the weight comes and with the weight comes all the different changes to the face and you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking to yourself oh my god where was such and such a person where had they gone or whatever and then you're heading towards your 40s Or you're in your 40s, perimenopause or the andropause for any of the men that are listening. And you're looking at yourself and you're actually thinking, I don't look like me anymore. You're getting tired, like the energy levels definitely aren't the same. You're holding things away from you because the eyesight isn't the same. Yeah. Smell, taste, all the different bits and pieces. And this just goes on and on and on and on. So, and I'm finding this in clinic. People are really bothered by how they age. And it's affecting them as in, does it affect your attractiveness? And does it affect the happiness, which is where we came from with this? Definitely the people that come through that are happier definitely look younger. You feel younger and the body is younger. So somebody that's attractive and looks sad, they look older, you yeah. know, and, and they don't have the same glow or whatever about them. But somebody that looks that's happier, they might have the bit of weight and all, all that kind of thing on. They definitely look younger and you want to be with people that are attractive and that are happy. That's a given. So even though we say social media is driving a lot of this for younger people, I don't know if it's social media that's even driving it. I think it was always there. And really? I think it's, well, I think it's still there. I think it's like, even for our age, age profile, from what I see when I have somebody sitting in a chair across from me, they're so upset that their clothes don't fit. Or, you know, when they look in the mirror, that their face doesn't look the same. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, is social media driven, driving it? Or is it just innate that it's in it as humans? Is weight the core of it? Do people decide their own attractiveness based on their weight? That's a massive issue. Now, that's a massive issue. The 70% of people that come through, it's aesthetic. The weight side is aesthetic. Yes, they worry about the health side. When I talk about, listen, we need to do blood markers and I need to see where you're at. And we talk about different things like iron levels and cholesterol and what's happening behind the scenes in relation to your diet and where is the weight coming from? Is it overeating or is it because your diet is wrong and other aspects? And, And people take all of that in. They listen. But at the end of the day, there is no point in me talking to anyone unless they lose weight because mm. that's one of the real reasons that they're with me. They want to lose weight. They might have a wedding. It might be just that their clothes are not fitting and they don't want to get up to get dressed in the morning. And that's nearly every age, Ali, yeah. which is scary, you know. Yeah. You can look at the face and you can say, like the changes to the face, you know, your lips thin, your cheeks sag, people have
1: be listening to this. <laughs> but but in the mirror. You, isn't that very scary when it first happens? Because I'm, I'm at that stage now where the body's starting to age and I think, oh my God, yeah. when did this happen? Well, you have to work harder.
14: Like yeah. your eyelids in. These are things that people don't, we don't think about. And one day we look in the mirror and we're like, oh my god, you know your nose even falls in a little. Really? Yes. Yeah. Or your nose can tip down. The tip of the nose can actually tilt down, and the double chin like that we get when we're forty, like that comes from literally your face falling downwards so it's all if you don't collapsing. have
12: weight.
1: <laughs> literally, literally, yeah. Is that but why then some people look younger when they have weight on, as a, and then when they lose it, they look a bit older? Absolutely, because right.
14: weight does plump everything out. And you know, sometimes when you're those few pounds heavier, you're happier. Yeah, it, it doesn't correlate just because you lose weight and you become slim and your genes are fitting all of a shot that life is going to change, like in the, in the for the better, or whatever. Yeah. Some people are happier, heavier. You know, yeah. you're you're you you have more energy. You feel better. You're eating more. You know, so there has to be a happy medium. There definitely has to be. And I say that to people, like if somebody said to me, I need to lose three stone, I would say to them, well, maybe you don't. Maybe you just need to lose a stone and a half and maybe that's your happy place and your mm. metabolism will function really well and you look really well. because yeah. that's a big thing, you know. But I think we're more aware now of what's there, say in comparison to 30 years ago, of how to look after ourselves yeah. and what we can do. Say like somebody comes in and sits and talks to me about weight loss. I don't know would they've done that 30 years ago. Like we know the importance of good skin care, like using retinols, using vitamin C, that kind of thing. And even the aesthetic side that we're doing, we know what's there. It's available to us if we want it. And if somebody looks really well, I don't think there's anybody really out there now that doesn't look at somebody and think, has she worked on? If she looks too good for her age or whatever, yeah. or they're looking at telly. Remember we used to talk about Sharon Osbourne years ago when she was on, um, what was that? One of the Vice or one of those? She was on X Factor. X Factor, that's Thank right. You. She looked phenomenal. She really looked great. But then there was times that she actually looked too great and you're looking at her and you're thinking, my God, what age is she? And you're Googling her age, like thinking she's 60 or 65 and she could have been 70. Yeah. But she looked about 50, you know. So like we're all very aware of what's there now to make ourselves look better. But does attractiveness equal happiness? And That's the, the what question. do you do
1: with somebody who maybe comes into you and says, I just don't feel beautiful. I want to feel beautiful. And you do what, whatever procedures or whatever you do and They still don't feel beautiful. How do you know if it's just something in them that it's a confidence issue, they'll never feel beautiful no matter what you do? Um, I think it's really
14: important in the world that we're in that we manage expectations. That's number one. So you can never turn, like, unless you're going to go for full plastic surgery and you're going to change somebody completely and even at that, when you change somebody aesthetically that much, is that going to change what's inside? No, it's definitely not, without the psychology and all of that delved into. So, why aren't they? Where has it come from? Has it come from, like, when they were very little? Has somebody said something along the way? You know, so where, and what is their perception of beauty? Yeah. Because, like, there's a lot of different... When some people come into us and they sit with us, you've got to do a consultation for a full hour. You have to chat to the doctor if it's on the aesthetic side, because he has to talk you through the, the contours of your face, the anatomy of the face and what he feels he can actually do and how you're going to look after. You know, there's no change in anybody 100% as in, say like the nose I was talking about fallen. Mm-hmm. You can do non-surgical rhinoplasty so you can actually inject under the nose and you can lift it a little. The results are phenomenal. It's a tiny tweak. You'd never know somebody has had it done, but something as simple as that can make somebody skip down the stairs. Yeah. The same with the chin, the jawline can recess. And you can actually bring that out so you can actually balance the face. Small things like that can change people's, literally, their world. Yeah. You know, and it's something they've been looking at all their lives. But it's like I said, Ali, it's managing expectations. We will never change somebody that they're not, they're not recognisable. Yeah. It's just, what would you say, looking refreshed. So it's like somebody losing a half stone. That's literally that you just feel that little bit better and you skip back down the
1: stairs feeling. Do you ever have someone, I don't know anybody in my life who will look in a mirror and say, oh, my God, I'm beautiful. It's just not in our nature as Irish people to do that.
14: I'm laughing here because, yes, there is one girl in our world that says, (laughs) I'm beautiful. You know who I'm talking about. She's not listening today. She's actually screening, She's very busy. But um, she's actually British. Her background is British or whatever. You see? An Irish woman would say that. And you know, she's fantastic because if any of us say, you know, if we're on any kind of a downer or we feel we don't look well or if I said something like, oh, my God, my hair is whatever or I'm totally whatever today. She'll say straight away, flip that. Seriously, I'm not having you talking about yourself like that. And that's the way we should be with our kids. Yeah, because they are all lovely and they're all different. And I keep saying it. Like a greyhound is not like a labrador, like a, like a tarrier or a Shetland pony isn't like a racehorse. Yeah. It's genetic. So much of it is genetic. So like you can't beat genes. You can actually help and all the help is there like to tweak and make yourself look and feel your best. You reminded me of a saying we have out in Skiheen now, Muriel. You can't be breeding. No, you can't. That's literally <laughs> and you can't, you know. I think down the road, Ali, the people are going to pick their partners so that they're actually do you actually, think oh that's definitely going to happen oh, that's frightening we've had so Rian. many conversations about this because you know the way the world is changing yeah. absolutely people are going to pick them for intellect uh, for looks for skin type oh, for no. hair oh they're definitely going to pick their partner just to have the perfect child because you know people that like talking about the different socioeconomic backgrounds and everything yeah. like people that are very well off I'm talking about the uber rich or whatever they have one child and they only want the one perfect child People like me with four children, like that's definitely,
1: that's not going to you're happen. You're hedging your bet. <laughs> That'll just tell you, yeah, we my socioeconomic. Do you really but think we're um, going down that road? Oh, definitely. De- and if so you, it's like it, biological, genetic um,
14: predisposition or, or yeah, options? Or you right yeah, you can actually, um, the girls are actually able to put it, and this is, I suppose, the younger ones, come, That you know, say the younger ones in my world, like daughters and friends and all the bits and pieces. They can put together pictures. They've put together pictures even, say, of me and one of the other girls um, in the clinic. So she's black. I'm white. She's got Afro hair. I've got blonde hair. But they've matched us. They've called us Cheriel. So they put the two names together and they've sent it to us on Instagram. We're looking at it thinking, oh, my God, that's that's a lovely child. Yeah. You know, so this can be done. And they're doing it already behind the scenes. The but you generation. could have two beautiful people
1: and that child might inherit all of their worst traits. That's so right, you, you're that's not right. guaranteed a beautiful child. No,
14: but you see, what you're talking about is you're talking about one person that has whatever they have themselves and they pick the person then that doesn't have the attributes that, you know, that they have but has the attributes that they want. Right. So you could have a beautiful woman and she wants a man that's really intelligent and maybe he's dark skinned or whatever. Yeah. So she wants to bring those elements to. Now, will it work oh, out? That's very I don't sad. know. Where does love go? Where's the romantic side? I don't know. But that's definitely down the line. Yeah. Oh. It's Attractiveness is perceived as being like, you know, so many different things in the positive. That makes me a bit sad, though. Mm. Are are we judging people by how they look and their beauty? Do you know, I think we judge ourselves. Yeah. I think before even judging people, I think, like, you're not judgmental. uh, And, like, I'm not judgmental. And in the world, I I mean, I couldn't be in it if I was, you know. But I think we judge ourselves. I think we're really hard on ourselves. And I think that just translates out to everything else doesn't it yeah. you know and down the line or whatever so it's not just the younger kids like I said I'm actually finding as we get older we're even getting harder on ourselves that perimenopause menopause age just seems to be for women that seems to be the hardest age mm. because everything yes is going in the wrong direction and the mind is just not not there literally as in the anxiety and stress and I'm finding for men the toughest age seems to be from about 37 to 45. Really? Well, that's the age that the sport stops if they're playing sport. That's the age that the social life kind of is pulled back a little that they don't get to do the same things they were doing. So now all of a shot. They're married. They have kids. So they have to try or they're trying to be the perfect father and they have to get take up the sports, whatever, with the kids and all that kind yeah. of thing and their own bodies are starting to slow down a little. So when you'd a fella able to do 20 laps of the field and now he to run across the field to one of, his, one of his kids and he's puffing by the time he gets yeah. to the far side. And I don't mean that to be funny. I'm actually finding that is an issue for people. And as the weight goes on and they're looking in the mirror and stuff. So for men, it's about 38 to 45. And for women, it's just getting that little bit older from about 45, I think, to 52 or so. So it's a sure we don't all do it at the same time. Isn't it is. it? And
1: isn't it funny how confidence makes someone beautiful then as well? Yes. I always find when I'm in the gym and I probably observe people a bit too much, but it's you know, the the women you would consider to be the most beautiful or have the best figures, they're always the most self conscious. Yes. And it's the women who are bigger maybe. Yeah. They don't care. They don't care, yeah. And they're so confident and that's so beautiful. And in that woman.
14: comes from younger. That definitely comes. That's that's some of it's innate, but a lot of it comes from home. And you know, it's the same like I, I used to say this when I was doing a lot of work in schools to kids, like the more confident you are, the more you the, 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 the more the what would you say? The allure so, say for uh, the opposite sex or whatever. If a man sees a woman walking confident- confidently, held, head held high, and she's assured and she's sure sure of herself, well, he's definitely going to look at her before he look at the two beautiful women coming behind. Yeah, and it's the same. The other way around for a woman. If you see a man that's really confident and whatever and carries himself really well. Yeah. Well that literally that's the the attractiveness of it, isn't it? Yeah. It's
1: all about the vibes, Muriel. It's all about the vibes. We need to get them, don't we? Anyone who's looking to contact you, how can they do that?
14: Yes, so it's O five two six one four eight double eight one.
1: Great. Thanks,
0: Muriel. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the premier county. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. We're talking about beauty with Muriel and our
1: perception of beauty and a listener quotes that great song Oh Lord, it's so hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. Another listener says, I'm 70 and I tell myself how beautiful I am every day. Good for you. We shall be doing that. Uh, another listener says beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Aging doesn't bother me. Many are denied the privilege. I completely agree with you Tom. Thanks for that. Keep those texts coming in to us 083 311 1800 1 938 007 Now you might remember on Tuesday we spoke to Seamus and that was in relation to concerns about a planning application in Templemore. Last night a meeting was held in the Templemore Arms Hotel to discuss this development which is proposed at the Parklands on Main Street. Seamus is back on the line with us this morning. He joins me now. Seamus, good morning. Good
4: morning, Ali. How are you doing,
1: Good to talk to you this morning. Seamus, how did last night go?
15: Um, absolutely brilliant. Um, uh, you see, uh, you know, look, first of all, I just want to thank everybody who came last night, right? Mm. Um, it was an amazing turnout. Like, you know I mean, in 48 hours notice, there were like 100 people turned up. You oh, know? brilliant. Um, so it was an amazing turnout. like it you, know I mean? you know, and like, the, the main question for last night was, um, you know, uh, how is Temple as a community going to view a three-storey building up their park lane and park land? You know, mm-hmm. that was the question, you know, that's that's what it's all about. Nobody's objecting against anything, like, you know what I mean? It's kind of the, the whole theory behind it. But it's just, you know, the, 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 how it's going to affect the town is the main thing, like, you know. So, like, you know, like, we had those local politicians there, there were some who came, some who didn't. Um, the community raised a load of alpine. Um, there were questions like, you know, how, you know, how is this site chosen when there's unfinished developments already in the town? You know, houses mm. that are already in place. Um, there's loads of houses that need to be refurbished around the town. You to know, um, why and who choose the overbearing design? Um, one local resident who lives no more than, I'm actually standing here in the town a minute. So what one, two, three, four, five, six, about six, six houses down from the park lane. Yeah. He said, for him, he said there was no consultation. Nobody had any, you know, idea about uh, a big project being put in the middle of a town centre, you know. So, like, all those questions were asked last night, but unfortunately we couldn't get answers, you know. So, that's just the way it is, like, you know. Now, so they
1: say they would go away and, and kind of review it and have a chat to people and come back to you with those answers?
15: No, uh, not yet. Now, they said they would come and meet us in a meeting um, at a later date. But, like, to be fair, that's no good, like, because you know, anybody's submission or objection, or, you know, anybody wants to talk about it, like, it's only till next Tuesday. Like, yeah. today's Thursday, Thursday, Friday, the weekend, Monday, Tuesday. That's it, like, you know what I mean, Do you know, so, like, you know, when you look at it from that point of view, like, you know, and there's a lot of good stuff about, last night about impact, like, you know, like, how is this going to impact the playground, Do you know what I mean? How is this going to impact the, the GA pitch, the leisure track? Um... Mm-hmm. Do you know, questions that people want answered, like, you know. Um,
1: is it going to impact the playground? Because the playground is right at the back of that proposed development, isn't
15: it? It is, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right, yeah. So at the back wall, up against the back wall, as far as I can read the plans, I could be wrong now, but there's going to be two-storey houses up against the park wall. So, you know, there is going to be people looking down on the, the playground and such, like, you know what I mean, Do you know, yeah. so. And, like, and like, another good question was asked last night, was parking, right? So when you look at the drawings, the way they're sitting at the moment, there's seven, seven or eight car parking spaces allocated for the top site, the top piece of the site up against the playground wall as well. Mm. But like, I counted roughly the amount of bedrooms in the development of 65 bedrooms, you know, and some of them are, some of them fit two people. So let's call it anywhere between 65 to 80 people, you know, with seven car parking spaces. Like, you know, so how, how is that going to impact the town? Like, you know what I mean? You know, it's just- and
1: how would they access there with cars then? Would they come in from the square and go up the lane there or would they come up uh, out the Ross Grey Road, we'll say, and down? How would they access it?
15: Yeah, same again, they were going to widen the park lane, right, right. Um, and, and make it into a street for all the world, you know, um, so you driving one side and the car coming towards the other side, like a street, like, you know, yeah. one foot, park, like, you know, um, same again, you know, concerns were raised there as well, like, you know what I mean, like, the park lane has always been a nice, quiet, quaint, um, you know, pedestrianised um, park lane, and now That's it's going beautiful. to be, a, 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 yeah, a busy street, like, you know, Um so like there was all that. There was a, there was a very good question actually asked about waste management. They said, like, you know, obviously this is going to be an apartment complex, so people don't have their own dustbins and stuff, like, you know what I mean? So yeah. they were saying, Okay, so I look at the drawings there again and they have allocated some kind of a, a waste management site or shed or something, I what you want to call it. But like when you stop and think about it, right, you've you know, let's say eighty people's rubbish and recycling and you have a park two metres away full of like thousands of crows. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's going to go wrong somewhere, and like the coals are going to throw rubbish around the place. You know what happened after that? Then, like, you know what I mean? You know, so you know, and like the, you know, the big thing about it, the, the the whole look of it, like, is it going to suit the town? Like, you know what I mean? And then, the, the, you know, the whole the whole history of the town and the history of the park, and also that, like, what we're doing here is we're actually pushing the town up towards the park. That's what we're ultimately doing, like, you know, mm-hmm. um. And you know another big thing I said, like you know, there, there, there was a need, there was a bigger need for refurbishment of empty houses around the town before we start building three-story blocks.
1: Yeah, you
15: know. So, yeah. Was yeah, there yeah, anybody yeah.
1: there defending the development?
15: Um, I don't want. You see, there was, you know, a several community voluntary association said that there's nobody belonging to them going to voice an opinion. I suppose at this meeting, you know. So, yeah. Um, so, they were just look, going
1: to get the feel of of what people were saying and what they felt about it.
15: Yeah, 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 this is it. Like th- 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 this is what the whole thing was about. Like, I mean just to kind of say, well, I'm not taking. You know, what I mean like, th- th- this is our town. We're the people that use the park constantly. Like, you know what I mean, Do you know, and you know, is this something that can we, like, can we sit down and talk about it? Like, you know, what I mean and say, okay, look, right, okay, look, right, fair enough. We're going to put something in there, but let's put something that's going to suit everybody. You know, so they of taken away from the electric, track, taken away from GA, pitch, taken away from the lake, taken away from everything else. Like, you know, what I mean, Do you know. So mm-hmm. uh, while on the other side, of the kind is like there, there is vacant houses around town, but already there's already um, developments built that are being unused at the minute, like, you know, so it's sitting there vacant, like, so, you know, you really have to stop and think about it for a second before you before you jump on something this big, like, you know, so...
1: So, James, what do you think you achieved from last night?
15: Um, awareness. Right. Awareness. And as I said last night in the meeting, too, like, you know, that in the future going forward, you know, plans are going to go in... Under people's noses, as such, that people recognize recognised that they're gone in. And if somebody notices something that is not sitting right, you know, like, vice it. Say, hold on now a second, you know what I mean? Because, you know, this could be a three story going up here, but who knows, in six months' time, there could be uh, somebody trying to put a four story or five story in down the mall or something. Like, you know what I mean? You have to, you have to kind of be aware of these things, like, you know what I mean? You know, yeah. that is, is, is it going to suit the town? That's what it's about, like, you know what I mean? You know?
1: Were so, you surprised to see that the concerns that you had were shared by a lot of other people?
15: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, like, you know, um, yeah, you know, people, people are of the same opinion, to be fair, like, you know, and there was yeah. even one or two people there last night that said, like, look, well, you know, I I heard something that this was going to be, I heard on Tip FM, and I said, look, I wasn't sure exactly what was going on, and they came down for uh, uh, just a listen last night, and, you know, one or two of them actually spoke and said that, like, you know, I had no idea of what was actually going on here until I actually came to the meeting, like, I didn't understand the full, the full thing behind it, like, you know, so... How did they that's, feel that's, about that's, it then? Uh, oh, look, they're going to vice their opinions is all I'm going to say, you know, right. so I'm going to leave that there.
1: OK. What <laughs> yeah, happens yeah. now then, Seamus?
15: Uh, well, look, the next step of action is, is that, um, you know, uh, if people want to have to say about it, you know what I mean, they want to have an opinion about it, that the only way to do this is to, you know, write a letter to Tipperary County Council uh, in a submission, you know. Um, so what I've done today now is um, around town is I have... Um, information left down in the library and a few places around town that people can come and get the information and decide what they want to do with it, like, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, That's yeah, right. yeah. Do you know yeah, what we yeah. might
1: do as well? I think we might, um, we, Tip Today might come up to you maybe, maybe next Tuesday just to, to have a chat with you and speak to some of the people with concerns and we'll, we'll try and organise maybe for one of the local councillors as well to be available. Would you be open to that? I know I'm putting you on the spot now, but if we were oh. to up to
15: you on Tuesday... Oh, come here, 100%. Great. Come on. <laughs> no matters that way, like, you know, so. Great, yeah, yeah, put yeah. the kettle
1: on, So Jimmy will be up to you on Tuesday, okay? 100%.
15: That'd be great now. I really appreciate it now. Thanks very much. No? That's fantastic.
1: No problem. And great to talk to you today. And look, between what happens uh, between here and next Tuesday anyway, we'll keep people informed. But thanks so much for, for contacting us and letting us know about the meeting last night.
15: You're very good
1: Alan, come here, thanks very much now take care of yourself Not at all, thanks Seamus, that's uh, Seamus right. Hassey there, we have text in as well a listener says thank you and well done to Seamus Hassey Lorraine Hennessy and the other lady that chaired the meeting in the Templemore Arms uh, regarding those plans submitted, a great turnout, some very interesting speakers uh, lovely to see the community coming together for an open discussion, thank you as well to Eddie Moore and Michael Smith for attending and listening to the people's views and offering assistance if required we now need to get our submissions in before it's too late, development is well Welcome, but the proposed development is not suitable for the location. That's according to one listener. And as I said to Jamie, we might head up there maybe next week uh, with tip today. Uh, just to, to see what the update is and to get more local reaction to that contentious development as well. Now down your way is back this Saturday, and Eamon is in Rockwell Music Academy in Care. Here's just a little taste of what you can expect this Saturday.
16: Jane is with me, uh, the manager of uh, Rockwell Music uh, Academy here in Care. Uh, we just started to hear a fantastic piece there from the, from the orchestra. They sound terrific.
7: Yeah look we like to try lots of different pieces so that's one that we've only really been working on the last couple of weeks Um, and we try kind of some modern arrangements of modern pieces and some more classical pieces as well so yeah.
16: To so being a manager of a place like this, uh, what does that mean?
7: So um, I suppose I assist on the management team from the administrative point of view. So there's lots of admin that happens behind the scenes mm-hmm. as well as teaching myself as well. Um, so between booking people in and scheduling all the lessons, you know, it's mm-hmm. a busy place and we try to accommodate everyone at every stage and fulfil all their requirements from their music mm-hmm. learning. So, yeah. You have a nice... Uh, Uh, Australian voice thrown in there. (laughs) Yeah, well, I feel... I've been here 20 years. I I feel like a native now at this stage. But, yeah, I don't sound one, but, yeah, (laughs) I can't can't shake it. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, look, at the
16: the people that's involved here and the music and young lads and elderly and not-so-elderly and all of that, you know, they all gel together pretty well.
7: Yeah, like, we're so... Um, unique in the sense like I actually myself teach baby and toddler classes here on a Thursday morning so I think one of our younger students is probably about four months old Mm -hmm. at the moment which seems I I know people kind of think that's ridiculous but we really start um, them young, we have a lot of junior programs so pre-instrumental programs and things for children that might be in preschool or early primary years and then we have over 50 adult students so um, I think one of our more elderly students is possibly in his 80s uh one of our piano students so we really like to cover every age and stage
16: haven't patsy done fantastic for the for the unit here
7: ah she's incredible she's i mean she's such a lovely girl on top of everything else and talented but um she it's it's her passion and she we're we're super super proud of her we're proud of all of our students all of their achievements if it's just competing in any and in just um having opportunities to to play and perform might be doing a music exam which we like to prepare them for it's not the be all and end all but yeah we're we're super proud of, of patsy
16: what i notice about uh, here today is that uh, there's a great welcoming feel about it all you know that everybody the welcoming you know nice and uh,
7: you know bend over backwards to accommodate you we, d- we do try we really try we work hard at making sure that everyone feels very comfortable when they come into the building it is quite daunting like i would have be on the phone quite a bit to people that you know especially adults mm-hmm. that are unsure about you know opening the front door they think it's a place just for young children to be learning their you know piano or something but it's really we we do try to be as welcoming as as possible.
16: Well, Jane, look at it. Thanks for the welcome and, and all the rest. Uh, it's a very special time for Tip FM to be here.
7: Uh, we're just delighted that you can be here and share share this occasion with us. Thank you very
16: So much. thanks, Simon. Lovely. We want to say a quick hello to Dom O'Driscoll, uh, uh, one of the teachers here in the unit here in uh, in care. teaches the guitar, Dom.
12: Teaching the guitar here at the academy. Yeah, absolutely.
16: Uh, yeah. Yeah, it it, it it sounds absolutely brilliant up there uh, just the orchestra just
12: magic well that's it's a lovely thing to be involved in mm-hmm. you know and it's totally new for me to be involved in an orchestra mm-hmm. so I'm really enjoying it from that aspect you want to play something today? I'd play a little song for you yeah okay, um, okay.
16: Just something, just something, I and mean, just while, while, while you're getting yourself ready, I want to say a special thanks to everybody involved in, in today's uh, broadcast, and especially to Andy Maloney, uh, the councillor down here in Care, for setting up the program. Uh, he made sure that I was going to be here and all rest. So, Andy, thanks a lot for this. It's
12: in Right to my heart. Without saying a word, you can light up the dark. Try as I may, I could never explain what I hear when you don't say a thing. smile on your face lets me know that you need me. There's a truth in your eye saying you'll never leave me. The touch of your hand says you would catch me whenever I fall. You say it best when you say nothing at all.
1: And that's just a little taste of what you can expect this coming Saturday from 10am on down your way here on Tip FM. Keep those texts coming in to us 83 311 1800-938-007 1
12: Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at
0: tipfm.com Tip Today with Fran Curry, With Slattery's Garage, poke on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to Tip Today. The
1: Cripple of Inish Man is a dark comedy by man of the moment Martin McDonough who links the story to the real-life filming of the documentary Man of Aaron. It kicks off tonight, tomorrow and this Saturday in the Excel Theatre in Tipperary. Michael O'Donoghue is the director, and he joins me now for more. Michael, good morning.
17: Good morning to you.
1: Good to talk to you this morning, Michael. Just give us the story to this.
17: Well, the story of the man, uh, the story of the Fippen is it's set on the, on, on the island of the Shman and it's set mainly in a little shop, run by two elderly ladies. Um, they are the side of self, style and of Triple Dilly cabin. Now, Triple it um, uh, was the figure from birth. He was, his parents died in a drowning tragedy and there's a lot of mystery about that. What exactly happened on the night they drowned? Because he was with them and he was rescued and the two old ladies adopted him. And into the shop one day comes uh, Johnny Petit-White who is a local gossip mongrel, if you like. He's right. the only there's some news in the place, and he has a bit of big news for a change. In that there is a film uh, building company coming from America uh, to the local island of Inishmore, and they're going to be doing a film called "The Man of Aaron, directed by a famous American director, of flowers and Willie Clavin, who has been uh, persecuted rather by people that were at him and making you know nasty comments behind his back and so forth about his, his figurement and so forth. And he seems very claustrophobic in, in the island of, of Eddish man. And he sees this as an opportunity to possibly escape from his predicament, get over to Eddish more, and possibly be cast in the film The Man of Arden, and maybe taken to America where he might make a name present. So that's kind of the gist of the background of the story, with many colourful characters uh internally stomach. You have the two aunties, you have this Johnny Petit Mike you know, who's always popping in and out looking for gossip, spreading gossip indeed. You know mm-hmm. Billy, Billy of course, the the the, the, the titular uh, lad. Uh you have the two uh, brother and sister uh double act here. Well. You have Helen McCorman, who is a remarkable young lady. She's a bit of a slasher and she's she seems to have been groped by every man on the island, as I can see anyway. <laughs>
16: um,
17: and she she has uh, some very colourful language and I'm not afraid of the words she uses. And uh, I think Billy secretly kind of fancied her, even though she kind of she prosecutes him as well. And she's the brother called who was a young fellow who was comes regularly, he's sweet, He's fit and fattened and then he's Yala, Mallard, and so forth. He's a very strange boy, isn't he? Yeah. Dr. McCormick tends to fall into holes, and uh, he throws telescopes into every conversation for some unknown reason. And you also have a fellow called Baby Bobby, who's a bachelor. Well, he's not a bachelor. He's a widower, actually, who's a boatman. And he's the guy that Billy tries to convince to get him over to the island called Academy. And there's a doctor as well, and there's... Uh, Johnny Petty invites the Mulder. He has a mummy who is in her 90s and he's trying to bump her off by plying her with whiskey and cochine and any kind of thing. But she's a remarkably resistant old lady and she manages to survive all these all these uh, uh, pouring of alcohol down her throat and uh, so a very colorful cast of character in this very funny play oh. and very quaint. Well.
1: What is it like then to direct, because of course Martin McDonagh um, under huge spotlight at the moment of course with his success, uh, so how kind of um, apt is it now to, to be bringing a work by Martin McDonagh to the stage in Tipperary?
17: Yeah, it's pretty apt of course and it's very fortuitous I suppose for yeah. us in that we're kind of to in the reflective glory of, of, of the bad shoes of been this year, you know. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, and, and he, he is the Flavour of the Month, of course, and all these Oscars and all these nominations, Colin Farrell and so forth. It, that can only be good for us. Mm. And it, it is very appropriate as well because they are kind of a are of minorities in, in the two plays, in the two pieces. There's no doubt that that's the, the, the cadence of the language, the way they speak, the, the beauty of the language. Of course, in the film, you have the author the... The, the lovely scenery and the fantastic scenery that was in that show. was amazing, really talking about an advertisement for, for Calavera. Yeah. But, but uh, even though we, we cannot we, we haven't got that visual thing, yet we do have we have it in the language of the people. Uh, uh the the versions like a you know was the uh I, I, I really love that film. Uh okay. mind you enough for those like most people. certain reservations. About certain aspects of it, that, uh McDonough does tend to shock at all. You know, he, he's he's not averse to music, uh to, to breaking a nose with a sledgehammer yeah. yeah,
1: and I agree with you. I thought the movie was absolutely stunning. But I, I read a lot of people were saying that Martin McDonough primarily has written for stage as opposed to film, yeah. but has adapted it very well. What would be your reaction to that?
17: Yeah, I, I would. I would agree with you there. Yeah, I would agree and it, it, the the Banshee one it seemed to take the the filming the filming actually seemed to suit it you know the landscape and so forth the slow movement of the people nothing which happens you know what I mean Yeah, the it's event, all about
1: the characters
17: it's about the characters yeah it really is and the thing is about the claustrophobia, being so near people and uh, living in somebody's pockets all the whole time you know what I mean
6: mm. uh,
17: and uh, in, in the one one, of course it's the uh, a friendship that just goes wrong because I suppose one guy feels maybe that he hasn't uh full but he thinks he has uh, the other guy seems to be holding you back in his opinion. Yeah. Now the the the, the, the man is not as I we say gory. Right. It it, it, it it's it's funnier.
1: Have but, you any donkeys in it?
17: <laughs> I would love to have that a <laughs> donkey all night. Go on. Poor old, old on. Jenny was not it
1: fantastic? Amazing, yeah. yeah. And it's great to see the success of it. What what's the the cast reaction to doing a Martin McDonagh play? Are are they a different play to to work in compared to others?
17: They are in, a, in they are in a way, but there are similarities. before course, so they were all. The, like, I thought with John McKean, I did five years. ago. Yeah. Year. there would be similarities there, right? In in, in the kind of the kind of the language, was. It's different, you have to take it at a slower pace, I think. I think it's the... Uh, uh, it's more quaint, I suppose, in many ways. And yeah. you go back to 1934 and the people on, on, yeah, on uh, Ireland in 1934, you could go back another 20 years, I suppose, really, you yeah. know. They're with that the whole time. But, uh, it, it, it's just, you have to take it at its own pace. And, like, you were in it it's very quaint and very broad. But you really to say, Yes, yeah, that's funny. But then when it comes out on stage, it is very funny. Yeah. And so it doesn't it doesn't it, 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 it comes out so better than it really funny know.
1: I understand. Yeah. And curtains up then tonight, Michael. How are you feeling ahead of opening night?
17: I'm, I'm feeling happy and relieved, really. We had a good dress rehearsal last night. I know people say, you know, bad rehearsal, good show, but I always say good rehearsal, great show. Even better show, but, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So it went well last night. I think the cast are all, as a fine cast, uh, and they're all fine to go, you know, like to, uh, to Greyhound, uh, at the course, we wanted to be slipped but to chase the hair, the, 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 the time to go. That I think they're ready. Great. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to a good one now. Really ready
1: to go. Well, Mike, we wish you all the best with it. Are tickets still available?
17: There are. Yeah, the bookie the booking is strong actually, but there are tickets available. Yes, indeed. At the at the I think it's only two. What
1: is it? Again? It's 062-80520, just for anyone who's looking. And tickets are priced at 15 euro. Michael, thanks for telling us about it. We wish you all the best with it over the coming nights. And
17: thank you very much. They're very sad Thanks, Bye.
1: Michael. Uh, so just for anyone who is looking to get tickets, uh, it's on in the Excel, starts tonight. It's also on Friday and Saturday night. Tickets available at the Excel on 062-80520 and they're priced again at 15 euro. Now, we're moving on to um, a beauty issue now, and it's a skin issue. Um, And I suppose the main thing when you're dealing with skin, of course, is to identify what kind of skin you're dealing with. And each skin type has its own unique set of characteristics. And then following on from that, its own needs that can affect the look and feel of your complexion. Joining me now is Laura Maloney, who's senior therapist and owner of Laurel Beauty Salon in Clonmel. She joins me on the line. Laura, good morning. Good morning, how are you? I'm good, Laura. Good to talk to you this morning. Yes. Now, first of all, I suppose the main thing is to identify what kind of skin you have. What is the best way of doing that?
18: Yes, and this is the problem that we see all the time. You know, in the salon, that people sometimes self diagnose and self diagnose incorrectly, and then they go off, they go on the internet, they purchase XYZ, and then they end up having their skin in a worse condition, and they come into us, and we're like, oh, you need all the wrong products, you know. so First things first is what I would say, I suppose, is, you know, if you are someone that wants to start off a skin regime or has a problem with their skin that you want to have rectified, be it like inflammation, which is redness in the skin, or you have um, acne or you have scarring or you have excessive oiliness or dryness in the skin, is to actually go to a professional and get them to determine what what your skin type is. Um, Because the internet is full. Even I was just doing a quick... Like Andrew True last night, just to see what was online, you know, of of what was incorrect and what was correct from from the search that I was talking about today. And like the, the, the articles that came up and if they were so contradictory one was contradictory and another one would be completely against what what we would do here so go to someone that is professional that is qualified that um, works in skincare you know that has um, a skincare brand working you know that they would assess yeah. skin, skin types you know that's really really important um, and like look sometimes you know people will go to a GP and while GPs are absolutely fantastic and we can really work hand-in-hand with them so Sometimes they can over... Like give products that are too strong for the skin and actually cause maybe a bit of dryness in the skin. Whereas if they worked with somebody with that worked with skin and in correlation with each other, they can work really really well for someone that might have acne or something like that. You know, so like I said, best things to do first is to go to a professional get your skin diagnosed. So there's there's a few different skin types, and I don't even really like putting a bracket on it. You know, because somebody might be like, oh, I'm dry. You know, I'm dry. I'm definitely dry. And they go off and they buy all the products for dry skin, where they might necessarily be just dry you yeah. know there could so be a combination exactly yeah. yeah so there's dry there's oily there's normal which is very very few people are normal um and then they're sensitive and then there's combination right. so that they're they're the kind of thresholds that we would look at so and like can, you said sorry,
1: can your can your skin type change
0: over over absolutely. time right. yes
18: that's what i'm saying like most people like we would meet very few people that would be normal like i don't have a normal skin type and i have all the products and treatments to hand literally and i don't have an normal skin type or, um, or or you know skin prognosis as such and, and like you, as seasons change your skin will change you yeah. know and you should change your products nearly to um, replicate what's going through and what's going on in the seasons as well. Ah. So yeah yeah and the most common is actually kind of dry dehydrated and there's a difference between the two again like dryness would be like rough to touch so someone's coming that my skin is so dry and I'm like no it's actually just really dehydrated it's really thirsty So, like I said, dry is kind of rough to touch and it could actually be visibly flaking, like, you know, especially on the forehead. That's usually where we see it is on the forehead because obviously on the forehead is our thinnest part of skin. Um, So I would always look at someone's forehead nearly straight away even when I'm talking to them just to see what what type of skin they have. And usually with dry um, and as well with dehydration, but primarily with dry, it will be very red because there will be a lot of heat under the skin because the skin is trying to work overdrive to protect itself because if your skin is dry and the skin is flaking, then the barrier is broken on the skin so then yeah. the skin is, is compromised then so like I said then there'd be a lot of heat there as well and then like I said dehydration is where I would say to clients like it's thirsty you know so you kind of come out of a shower or a bath and you're like ah you have that tightness to your yeah. skin um, you know or, or like you've been say for instance in a room where there was a lot of central heating and you come out and you can find, kind of feel your skin on your face you know that's where your skin is really really thirsty and it needs like hydration so it hasn't gone to the surface layer yet where it's like flaking um, and it's under pressure and like that it's, it's inflamed but still you could get you could look at your skin in the middle of the day and either your makeup is patchy on it or or your skin is quite, be it makeup or not, actually, whether you're wearing it or not, your skin could be actually quite oily. And then, this is what I'm saying, clients often say my skin is really oily, like I get that lunchtime shine, so I'm using salicylic acid, but what they're actually doing is they're drying their skin out more, so when your skin is dehydrated you're, you're, the, the skin is an organ and it's a really, really clever organ, and obviously it protects our whole body, it protects all our bones it protects, it protects our vital organs um, so when your skin is thirsty, what it does is if it's not getting hydration that it needs from the atmosphere that we're in, so like I said we're in a room with central heating or in a car with aircon or whatever, and then it's not getting it from the product, it's not getting that source of hydration from the product that we're putting on the skin. Then, what it does is it tells the skin receptors, Here, guys, I am absolutely parched. I need a bit of lubrication. And your skin receptors go, No bother. And they send go to the sebaceous glands and they tell them to start pumping sebum and then you get it then you're like I have a really oily T-zone and then like I said the client goes off they purchase that acidic acid which will absolutely um, dry the oil off their skin but it's going to dehydrate their skin further and they get into this vicious cycle Then create
1: more problems sorry unfortunately we're just out of time but I suppose the best advice then is to have your skin assessed by a professional who will be able to tell you exactly what what you need anyone who's looking to make contact with you how can they do that? Yeah
18: so we're uh, Laurel the Salon um, 101 Irish Town Clamell and it's 0863950629 and we're Laurel the Salon skin and beauty and all social media
1: Great. Uh, Laura, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. No problem,
18: Alison. Bye-bye.
1: That's uh, Laura Maloney there from Laurel Beauty. Salon brings to a close our show this Thursday morning. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for all your calls and texts. Uh, Fran is back with you tomorrow morning with the great Johnny Luby from 9am. So tune in for that. Stephen is up next too with the Lunchtime Show. Whatever you're up to today, have fun. All the best.